It was love that brought this egg and sperm together to create the baby. It's now love bringing the baby into the world. And if you distract them by activating the neocortex, or if you put them in a state of fear where their catecholamines are surging at the wrong time, granted, at the time of birth, women will scream and roar, the lioness comes out. That is a response to catecholamine surging because mm-hmm. it is intense. Oh, yeah. It, and it can be very scary. You're facing mortality. You're stepping through the portal. All of that is true. But when oxytocin is flooded, this baby's coming out enriched with this, this, you know, the serum is just flooded with this love hormone. The baby is ejected when this reflex happens. And you'll hear women who have birth, you know, water births and everything else describe this. Later, the lactation, the, the milk letdown is driven by oxytocin. And that is pumping love into the baby. There's a benzodiazepine-like property to it and the endorphins, which kind of mimic morphine in their systems. It makes them calm, at ease. It makes them quiet so that predators don't come and find them. So this connection, this, this codependency between mother and baby, this is all driven from the moment of conception. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul welcomes back OBGYN Dr. Nathan Riley. Nathan is a board-certified OBGYN, Czech professional, certified Yoni steaming facilitator, and advanced biogeometry practitioner. Through his practice, Beloved Holistics, a private contract association, he offers truly holistic and comprehensive care to women and their families. He specializes with natural fertility support, pregnancy, menopause, and functional medicine. He is the father of two, the latter of whom was born at home. He is also the host of the Holistic OBGYN podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcast. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind, and to live their dreams. And now here are Paul and Nathan talking about she plus he equals life. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, I have a very interesting topic for you. Our title today is She Plus He Equals Life. I got my buddy back in town. He's right here at the Rainbow with me, Nathan Riley, MD, our family OBGYN, who delivered my daughter Zoe and did an amazing job. In fact, gave me faith that there was actually real physicians in the world. Welcome back, Nathan. It is my pleasure. I love being back here with you. <laughs> uh, I love being here with me too. <laughs> it's real peaceful here. So lots of things to talk about, you know, and um, I think uh, this is a very important conversation, both for men and women, of course, particularly if they're interested in having children or do have children and want to have another one. And also, there's going to be a lot in our discussion today that is got to do with everything, to do with men and women yeah. on many levels. Yeah. And even a lot of the cultural baggage and misconceptions and confusion about a lot of things, yeah. which unfortunately, because it's cultural, as you know better than anybody, it ends up right in, in medicine yeah. and in how people are related to, how they relate to themselves, how they relate to each other. So... um. I'd like to start by just asking you, how did you start applying holistic principles to your OBGYN practice and why is holism important to you as a doctor? Because it's not that common a concept out there. There's a lot of, you know, the I, I watched this whole thing of integrated medicine yeah. come, but 
what it turned out to be, and I've watched many of these places develop and then dissolve because of the infighting yeah. between the acupuncturist and the MD and the next guy, the next specialist, and then how come he's getting more clients or she's getting more clients than I am, and some of them are doing well, some of them are starving. It never really became holistic. It really, I think it was a good step in the right direction, but I have never actually seen a real legitimate integrated practice. And so, you know, coming from this sort of confused Milu that's trying to adapt to what society's requesting due to the long-term <laughs> disabilities <laughs> of the medical system. Yeah, we'll call them disabilities. That's a yeah. great, great way to put it. About a disabled patient. So I, I see, you know, that some people are really trying to do it, but but medicine's now doing it as a marketing ploy. But but really, when you get there, it's not happening. And right. And so you're probably, you know, one of the only holistic medical doctors I know of. I could probably fit all of them at this table that I know actually do practice holistically. So to restate the question again, how did you get started applying these types of holistic principles, and why is holism important to you as a doctor? And and why should it be important to all doctors? I'll throw yeah, that in there. I, I wish I wish it was you know I wish it was better than it is in the conventional medical model. And you know, for those out there who know me, they know that I'm practicing very very differently from the conventional medical doctor. And I I actually you know should go back and revisit that time that I met you and Angie in the hospital, and I became your you know part of your care team. Yeah. Um. I brought I bring in all of this other experience, you know, on the mental, emotional, spiritual levels. And when you're in medical school, you only learn the, you only learn the physical. So if you're sitting with enough birth, you realize that this is more than just a physical process. Otherwise it's a medical procedure, which is exactly the way that most OBGYNs are trained to look at it. Yeah. So when I met you, you know, we were I was like, gosh, these guys really get this holistic thing. Like they really get it. It's not just eat, you know, an herbal remedy prescribed for something. It's actually the entire thing. And what I always tell people is if we're going to change the world for the better, we have to at least start with birth. Mm. <laughs> because if we can't get that right <laughs> well that's the that's the start period yeah exactly exactly so i was forced to really consider what i was observing and experiencing with my clients you know i'd been i've been to over a thousand births now and it's a lot and if you're paying attention you realize gosh this is more than just a physical thing and you know i just today actually you, you uh, your interview with monsal denton um just mm. came out right and I was just return. I'm just returning from a trip uh, on a sacred hunt with him. Right, and we did a a traditional Lakota sweat lodge as a part of the you know the experience. Yes, and uh, what I learned from this, and I had heard this before, but we had it. You know, it was sort of I was reminded that this experience of being in a sweat lodge, which you've told me is is intense as it was, mm -hmm. it is it was designed by the the women of the of the community in Native order to help, tribes, yeah. Yeah, to to give men some semblance of what it might be like to give birth. Well to to carry to carry a baby for nine months. Yeah. And the birthing process and and then the you know, particularly the first year after, that's a very intense period for husband and wife. But uh yes, you know, because I've studied this, you know, I've studied a lot of native native cultures and uh I was quite actually shocked when I realized how the sweat lodge came about. But having been through two very real sweat lodges, 
I realized, wow, these women did a very good yeah. job of yeah. letting a man know. I mean, a properly run sweat lodge gives you a very real experience of the intensity, the mounting intensity, right? Yeah. It starts off, yeah. oh, we're having, we're going to sit here around this fire or around these rocks and everyone's happy and... <laughs> You know, the first round goes by. And We're just going to chill out in a hot room. It's, it's yeah. not quite. <laughs> and by about the first round, 15 minutes in, you're thinking, whoa, man, it is friggin' hot in here. It's very hard for any of us to have empathy and compassion for something we've never experienced. Yeah. You know, so I think any man that uh, is planning on becoming a father should find a legitimate sweat lodge. Yeah, and I think that that experience, what you just shared, and thank you for sharing that, because uh, you know our sweat lodge was not as intense. I think they took it a little easier on us, but that first round, the flaps were down for a good five minutes, and it was hot. I mean, I was getting visions, I was going places, and it was you're crammed in there with other people. If well, you were to treat a sweat lodge as merely a physical thing, you're, you're missing probably missing the point because there's actually quite a bit that happens on the mental, emotional, and spiritual. Oh levels. boy. And I think that that's a, a testament to just how challenging this process is. This is far more than physical. The Western medical system, as I learned it, was merely looking at what, you know, this re reductive Cartesian, you know, way of, of viewing the human, you know, experience, the health of a human. And um, what we're going to be talking about a lot today is what are some of the other factors that might be impacting your journey through this rite of passage that is becoming apparent, especially. Um, for the woman, you know, this is going to be quite a bit. How can we help our men, you know, show up in some way to understand that this is not just, hey, you stick your penis in, a bunch of stuff comes out, and then a baby happens nine, ten months later. You know, it's not that simple, but we've unfortunately, I think, conditioned people to think that that's all that has to happen. And, you, and a lot of people get pregnant without doing all this other stuff. But is that the best pregnancy experience? Is that the optimal birth you know, that you were maybe hoping for. Yeah. And not to mention the, the, the challenges of being a young parent uh, for the first time like you were and recovering in this postpartum state where you're so depleted and now you have to nourish the body. If you weren't healthy, go, if you weren't your healthiest on all four of these levels, the, the physical, the mental, emotional, spiritual before, it's not like magically that's going to change after. So this is an opportunity for anybody. And, you know, you asked me to pull some numbers out 25% of the world population, or 25% of the U.S. population of reproductive age women, men and women are struggling as couples to get pregnant. That's just shocking. Yeah. And I did, I did some, some math here. Of, let's say, 20 to 40-year-olds, mm. it's about 30% of the world's population. That means 2.4 billion people are in the, they have the opportunity to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. So even if you find getting pregnant easy and all this other stuff, why not shore up the soil? Let's lay down the healthiest soil possible mm -hmm. so we can usher in the healthiest next generation mm -hmm. that we possibly can. That's how we honor birth. And that's how we actually help to change the world. You know, um, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I was going to say, Rene Descartes sure opened a freaking can of worms, didn't he? Did a lot of good. And did a lot, uh, quite a bit of bad in retrospect. Yeah. He he uh, gave us the grid coordinate system so we mm -hmm. can use our GPS systems and, you know, a map. Yeah. But boy, did he throw a monkey wrench into consciousness. Well, ever since his writings, really, it was important that he wrote what he wrote because it actually 
was the framework that allowed us to, to dissect the body. It separated spirit and soul from the body. And prior to that, the church doctrines wouldn't allow a dissection of a body because we thought we'd be disturbing the soul. But hey, what if it's separate? What if this meat suit is just something to cut into? Now we can dissect bodies. And that did open up a lot of doors, but we haven't shaken that. If anything, we've doubled down on the idea that this is merely a physical construct that can only be explained through the measurable facets of our experience. Well, also his big contention, I think, therefore I am. Yeah. It really played into a lot of the disease we have today on many levels because it suggests that it's the act of thinking that makes me real. Right. But it, it eludes being. Right? You know, just because you're not thinking doesn't mean that you're not present, doesn't mean you're, in fact, through spiritual practice, you learn not to think so much. And therefore, you'd have to say, I'm not thinking, therefore I am not. Yeah. But we, we look at how caught people are in their heads today, in their, in their minds, in their thinking process. Yeah. At the expense of taking care of their bodies. Yeah. And that's what social media has done is it's kept people up in their heads. Yeah. And television and academic pursuits and the whole academic system. So since we're talking about holism, I think, you know, we can track back this Cartesian shift in consciousness to almost like a beginning point where we departed from our connection to nature and our relationship with nature yeah. which is the source of our body, which is the reason we have instincts. Right. 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 So you have people, including women and men, wanting to get pregnant that are having a hard time getting pregnant, but don't realize they're living almost entirely in the gray matter between their ears mm. and not paying attention to the fact that what looks like a good idea on your television, your iPhone, or your tablet does not turn out to be a good idea yeah. if you want to be healthy enough to deliver yeah. a healthy baby. And, you know, look how much fear there is today about whether or not your baby has a malfunction and all the tests run. And, yeah. you know, and unfortunately, all the things are finding, right, from vaccines to medical drugs to toxic foods to interventions toxic in childbirth. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, point being is like most. Pregnant women are eating crap that would kill rats in a laboratory study and does. And so <laughs> I'm saying if, if people would be more holistic in realizing the connection from soil to water, to movement, to breath, to being in nature, to having relationships with life itself yeah. as opposed to just the go 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 of making money and and gossip and reality tv and whatever else has got people distracted uh, you know so i think what i'm doing here is i'm taking this moment to say that descartes threw a monkey wrench into a lot of things and we are still suffering from it. And the reason that a guy like you has to even teach holism is because we have gotten trapped in a world of ideas and ideas don't need food. They don't need drink. They don't need healthy soil. They don't need healthy water. They don't 
care about environment. And the problem is, is ideas only need one thing to reproduce mm. a brain. Mm. And they're readily available. Yeah. The health of them doesn't seem to matter because ideas can be recapitulated in a sick brain. Yeah. Bill Gates is proof of that. Well, we're going to talk about the role of the neocortex here because this big, beautiful neocortical uh, membrane, so to speak, that's covering all of our, you know, our more, you know, quote, primitive brain structures, uh, it gets in the way quite a bit with oxytocin, the love hormone. I know we're, we're going to get into that as well. Um, but one thing that did come up for me is that when you consider the language of, of more animistic, um, spiritually, uh, I don't know, enlightened, I, I won't use the word enlightened, um, let's say- Connected, in, in, awake. In, in, indigenous peoples, yes. their animistic spiritual practices, mm -hmm. um, the language around their relationship, let's say, to a tree- Yes. This living being. Mm -hmm. There's a book comes to mind, um, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, where she talks, she's a, a botanist, and she um, has this in, incredibly uh, expansive understanding of biology, but she's also Potawatomi by lineage, which is a tribe that was generally in the upstate New York area, if I recall. And she was like, well, I want to get re reconnected to that. And so she studied, started studying the Potawatomi language, and she, did, she was frustrated with it because in our language there's a subject and object right. i can see that tree i what can i do with that object yeah versus the the, the language uh, of potawatomi the word for tree is the beingness of a tree yes so it's not a subject object it's a it's a living organism addressing another living organism and that may not seem relevant but it is very relevant to this because we treat this as a, a fertility which is what we're going to get into today we're treating this as a a collection of parts inside an automobile mm -hmm. <laughs> that if you polish each of them up separately, hey, you should get pregnant, but it's not working. So why is it not working? Mm -hmm. You know, 14, what is it? $14 billion or $4 billion a year spent annually on fertility treatments. Jesus, that's a lot. It's a lot of money. And, and you consider how many people are struggling with fertility. 25% of couples, as I mentioned, in the United States report fertility challenges. What does that actually mean? It means they didn't. Ha it didn't happen in the first six to twelve months, maybe, of trying. Well, there might be a problem there, but let's also consider that you know this isn't backed up by data. But in my experience in working with clients, less than one or two percent, let's say, are actually not able to get pregnant. It's just that we aren't addressing as a medical system all of these complicated, complicated other factors that play into mm -hmm. this incredibly transcendent experience of orgasm, conception, birth the milk ejection reflex, all of those things. It's just, uh, it sounds like Brave New World or something. You've, you've created a process, we do the process, and more babies happen. And it's more than that. And I think that's why we see, I think they, they said, um, there's been a something like a 15% fertility rate decline over the past several decades. Mm -hmm. And that's not, that's not a surprise, even at the fundamental level, this type of stuff we're putting in our food, the poor movement patterns, the mm -hmm. poor connection, the poor intimacy, the, the fact that people don't even know the difference between a vulva, a vagina, and a cervix. The, the question that rose there is, look, the, the knowledge of all these things that we're talking about is well within the medical system. I could easily go do an online search and keep it to things like PubMed and, and the various medical things, and I could find research and articles highlighting everything you and I talk about. Yeah. The question is, why is the medical system not 
addressing what they know to be true. And I can tell you quite simply, female doctors get pregnant. They right. have to go through this. Many of them change their lifestyles. You can find them in Whole Foods pushing shopping carts down the organic food aisle, but then they go to work and pretend that none of that exists. So right. my question to you as a doctor is, why is this not getting addressed? I think, and this includes me, I think most people like to blame the medical system and the doctors and everything else. I've actually not, I'm not doing that anymore because what I'm realizing is that the medical industrial complex, as I call it, which is everything that you and I hate, is a reflection and a response to a demand from a society that is not fully embodied in their own self-awareness and the, and the power that comes with responsibility, with personal responsibility. So they go to the doctor. The doctor is merely, is merely responding in like to a person who perhaps you know, maybe it's not an edu not an educational thing. Maybe it's just a, not having the resources or knowing that, oh, for my cousin, it worked to go and just get shot up with synthetic hormones and then force the body to get pregnant because it's not working naturally. So there's this, there's the supply and demand, and there's a large medical industrial establishment that can make quite a bit of money to keep the wheels turning because people continue to demand that. I'm not putting the blame on people who aren't able to get pregnant. What I am saying is societally, I think we've all been sort of trained to look to somebody of power to tell us how to live our lives. Well, there, there you've identified the etiology. You, the word, you used the word trained. So I'm going to ask you, who are the ones creating the training cur curriculum? I don't even know who's doing that anymore, but the training curricula have not changed all that much. Um, they were established back in the early days of Rockefeller Medicine. There was a selection process as to where that those bit large philanthropic dollars were going to go, and you know everybody but the German style Johns Hopkins style of medical training four years college four years med school and then you get in residency anybody who wasn't doing that was not going to get these dollars so a lot of those schools and programs and philosophies really kind of fell out of favor mm -hmm. and there's now still a stigma you experience this every day there's a stigma around what we do in this you know holistic world people call me a quack i carry two little rubber duck feet with me everywhere and yeah. i do videos and i just put them in the video like oh just quacking around over here you yeah. know but my clients using just the principles we're going to talk about today and you know you may need to get some additional therapy and you know from a variety of people that i recommend to but 90% of people who have had this fertility challenge are going to get better mm -hmm. using some very basic, you know, fundamental principles of how to live a better life. Yeah. Well, you know, what you were saying earlier is that you didn't want to blame it on the medical doctors because people kept demanding it. And so what I was saying, who is responsible for creating the belief system that led to them demanding it from the medical doctors? In other words, yes, the medical doctor, you, you know, look. If I show up to you and try to sell you uh, a broken down piece of shit of a lawnmower and you're looking for a lawnmower, you're going to look at it and say, Paul, that thing doesn't even work. The blade's broken, the engine doesn't work, and you're asking for almost as much money as a new one. And you're going to walk away and probably feel sad that this poor guy's never going to sell his lawnmower because he's out of touch with reality. Right. Point is, you have discernment. Right. And so what I'm saying is somebody has brainwashed the public into going to the medical system to want what it is that they keep giving them, even though 
it's a bad idea. In other words, yeah. they keep saying, take this broken lawnmower and pay three times what it's worth. And they do it. Yeah. So it, either Rockefeller has spent billions and billions and billions of dollars to use the media to program them to go demand exactly what he wants them to demand or there's another agenda so do you have any comments in that regard <laughs> i do this goes way back before rockefeller i'm glad you asked me this uh i actually did a podcast episode i think it was 72 uh it's two and a half hour solo cast a briefish history of western medicine witches and women healers mm, we yes. go back to the 13th 14th centuries and this i mean this that story goes my, my podcast goes all the way back to ancient sumer mm -hmm. and the the role of women healers who largely were caring for the sick people mm -hmm. back in, in, into antiquity back to the earliest human written history but in the 13th to or the 14th to 17th centuries we had the witch hunts which really was scourging europe for and, healers <laughs> yeah right for you know, it was a it was a woman hunt paul it yeah. was not even like you could have a one of your you would have, you're a total witch you would have been burned at the stake for the stuff that you and i puff in these bags and stuff so yeah. so um at that time there was a book called the malleus maleficarum it was the witches uh the 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 hammer of witches i've heard you talk about it. is that the huge book huge book yeah. old book and it was basically here's how a witch hunt goes and here's how they're tried and here's what they can be you know, accused of, etc. And it was virtually everything. As long as you had like, you had a vulva, you're going you're, you're gonna to be exposed at some point. So there was millions across Europe that were being tried and then um, found guilty of practicing witchcraft and then burned or tortured, whatever, in front of their families. Mm -hmm. That Malleus Maleficarum had a very, very clear way of determining was this witchcraft or, or medicine. There was a judge or a priest was one of the people who's helping decide and they would have a self-proclaimed physician, a, a, a doctor, who was there to testify on behalf of whether or not this person, whatever they were accused of, was practicing witchcraft or medicine. Self-proclaimed. And they would give you the thumbs up or thumbs down, like in the gladiatorial arena. Mm -hmm. So this doctor now is actually responsible and complicit in these trials, which 99% of the time, were, you know, you're going to be found guilty unless perhaps you could, you had some modality, which was unless much gentler. Unless you could gentler. grow a penis real quick? <laughs> that, that, or if you had some modality that one of the, you know, some head member in the church or state could actually, you know, benefit from. Mm -hmm. So this goes way back. There has been a reverence for the medical establishment for many good reasons. We've done a lot of good. Don't get me wrong. If I get in a car accident and my leg's cut off, take me to a surgeon. I think, I, I think the acute care is good. It's great. I think that's where we where we shine. The sad part that you haven't mentioned is you know you're, you're talking about Christianity here. Oh yeah, the Protestants and Catholics probably did the most the most damage during this time. <laughs> yeah. This again goes back to what does it mean to be holistic and you said physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. Well, yeah. you know, true religion is spirituality. Yeah. It's the pursuit of connection to a greater whole. And so, paradoxically, what you've just identified is that the etiology of all this actually turns out to be a religious-slash-spiritual conundrum that manifests itself in the much objectif objectifiable lab tests and things that can be weighed and measured and profited from, right. which means we're actually treating the wrong end of the donkey metaphorically. That's right. You that's know? right. And so, that's really what it means to be holistic, is to you know, look at the whole pie, not just one piece of it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think that we're starting to break out of this a little bit. You know, you and I were dishing on or earlier on, you know, the functional medicine, this biohacking phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would actually put the reproductive inf- infertility treatments. We're talking about, you know, synthetic injectable hormones. Um, we're talking about isolating semen, spinning it down and shooting sperm up in there right at the right time when that follicle's ruptured after we've injected, you know, human chorionic gonadotropin. You know, like it's a biohacking trick in the functional labs, the biohacking, it's all very prescriptive. It's like, you have this problem, let's give you this treatment. Herbalists mm. fall into this trap. Yeah. It's it's oversimplified. There's, there's more of a connection here to all of these things. Well, it's going um, back to the machine model of right. the human being. Right. Rene Descartes, it's, it's, it goes back to yeah. Francis Bacon, who said yep. you can only detect anything that's 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 usable can't be detected through the senses because those are the most erroneous. It's the most likely that you're going to make a mistake. Well, you said something very interesting there. Francis Bacon is the one responsible for the conversion of natural science to the modern scientific concept of controlling nature. Yes, yeah. Natural science was all about living in harmony with nature. Right, right. But the, the, the work of Francis Bacon, his writings and his teachings change the orientation of the entire field of science to the control of nature. And classically, doctors are considered to be scientifically trained. Right, right, right. But, right. but you know, if there's one thing the last two years has taught us, that uh, the conception of what real science is, is not science, it's marketing. Yeah, we shit the bed, <laughs> to <laughs> say the least. Yes. Hello, everybody. I'm super excited to announce our new live show called PT 3.0 that will be available to you at youtube.com forward slash check institute. That's C-H-E-K institute. Each PT 3.0 episode will be offered every first and third Wednesday of the month and is a 30-minute live show designed specifically to help exercise professionals and anyone who wants to use exercise scientifically in their practices. The host of the show will be a Czech faculty member, a high-level practitioner, or an industry expert that is aligned with Czech principles, and each show offers us the following free bonus materials. A Q&A segment at the end of the episode, a downloadable reference guide to help audience members apply what they've learned. We call this PT 3.0 because the purpose of the show is to provide next generation training to personal trainers and to help them evolve in their practice. PT 3.0 is a web show designed to provide 30 minutes of intense, essential training to personal trainers and strength coaches that will make an instant impact on their business and practice. This is not a webinar or a podcast, but a fully produced online show featuring a live host and high-quality footage of assessments, exercises, stretches, and program design together with Q&A for targeted bite-sized education. Each episode will be highly focused, training, for example, one assessment or one program design technique or one stretch, etc. Each episode will be broadcast live on our YouTube channel, and the show is free. Hallelujah. Each episode will be recorded and available to you on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash check institute. And again, it's completely free. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for notification when each episode begins by going to youtube.com forward slash check institute. To see our upcoming episode schedule and to receive advanced notifications of all episodes, go to pt3.com. Checkinstitute.com. Once again, 
To see our upcoming episode schedule and receive advanced notification for all episodes, go to pt3.checkinstitute.com. We hope you enjoy this live show. What are some of the, uh, or what are the impacts of fertility treatment on the experience a woman has when trying to conceive, being pregnant, and the birthing process itself? In other words, if someone just doesn't know any better, obviously they're not healthy if they have to go to a fertility treatment. I mean, right, you know, right. any two healthy organisms of opposing sexes can reproduce. Right. And nature doesn't need fertility treatments right. until we've sprayed her with estrogenic and neurogenic chemicals, which we're also doing at a rapid rate. The issue of a person beginning down that road is already a problem that's being overlooked because of the machine model in other words they just think well your machinery is not working so we'll just biohack it so the question i'm really driving at here is a how does this issue of using artificial insemination ultimately play its way out a lot of people are just damn happy to have a child right but I also think nobody's really done a study to say what's the physical, emotional, and mental health and capacity of babies brought into the world through in vitro fertilization versus those brought into the world through healthy parents that use natural childbirth. I, yeah. I, has anyone ever looked at that? Well, I have. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> and... Uh... Uh, there's, I think there's three answers to that. And actually, I also want to give a little shout out to Sarah Gustafson, who's a dear friend of both of ours. Yes, and yeah. I refer people a lot to her because she helps women with their health in ways that I was not trained to do. She mm -hmm. uses quite a variety of modalities. And I even recommend my fertility clients go to her for a, for a session as a part of working with me. Um, so shout out to Sarah. She also has a course called Holistic Health and Performance for Women, also available through the Czech Institute, which I think is a perfect complement to this. So to your, to your question, there I think are three reasons. First off, the easiest one to glean from the literature is that the use of infertility treatments. And if you do that path, you shouldn't feel bad. This is not a matter of blame, shame, guilt. Don't go there. The point being that if a person's like, well, heck, why would I even try to work this out? Let's just go straight to IVF. You have to understand that while that might be necessary for you to bring this child into the world, that's okay. You're, you also have to assume some risks. It's an independent risk factor for a variety of pregnancy complications, including the biggest ones that we get you know, afraid of, which are um, anything along the hypertensive uh, disorders of pregnancy. We're talking preeclampsia, eclampsia, help syndrome, etc., preterm birth rates, all of that stuff. All comes of which with mean you're talking about high blood pressure as a trigger for these things. No, no, what I'm saying is, is that when you have an IVF pregnancy, those women tend to have a higher risk for developing some of the pregnancy complications that yeah. basically put you on the medical train. Right. But you, you said hypertension, isn't that high blood pressure? Yeah. Hypertension, high blood pressure. It's called gestational hypertension. Mm -hmm. And then if you have now end organ damage, you develop preeclampsia. Mm -hmm. If you develop seizures, you're now eclamptic. They used to call it toxemia of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. At the very end of that spectrum is also HELP syndrome, where you get a drop in your blood cells, drop in your platelets, your liver enzymes start pooping out, and you end up in multi-organ failure mm. in pregnancy, which is a, a serious complication. For both. I'm sure that they yeah. can't, you know. Now, this brings up a question. Are the 
drugs, chemicals, everything involved in in vitro fertilization also impacting the fetus in its development? That's a good question. Um, A lot of that data is a little bit confounded by the fact that most women who are going through fertility treatments, whether it's IVF, IUI is um, intrauterine insemination, where you're using the the injectables and then shooting semen up in there, versus IVF, where you actually create the embryo and then implant it or multiple into the uterus. Um, It's confounded because a lot of those women are a lot older, and many of them perhaps haven't been taking care of themselves all the way through. And all of those things that we talk about, you know, from the, the lens of holism, can impact the development of a healthy baby and the experience of childbirth. So what I would say is that if you're jumping to IVF at age 45, let's say, mm-hmm. and you haven't taken care of yourself up until this point and your body's unable to get pregnant because of some other thing that may have not been an, you know, a factor had you been you know, linked up with somebody like you, know, you Kirsty Pratt, Sarah Gustafson, any of these other Czech practitioners or, or otherwise holistic um, alternative therapists, so to speak, um, you may have not ended up in a place where you needed IVF, let alone uh, predispose yourself to pregnancy complications. You know, you talked about how a woman might be, you know, later along in her years, I think you might have said 40 years old, so she goes and gets in vitro fertilization because she wants to get pregnant. So they don't really think about the importance of getting themselves in shape. Did I hear you correct? Uh, I think I don't think people realize just how much the quality of your food and everything else can impact your fertility. So I don't think too many people are aware until they're trying, and now they can't. Right. And now we're now we're stuck with with laying foundations. What it made me think of is is, is I'll do this with you, a, a little process. If if I said to you, Nathan, you're in training to be X, and your program is going to begin by carrying five pounds every day. And it's going to, within a short period of time, turn into 10 pounds. And you're, you can't put this down. You got to carry it everywhere. And this is going to keep going up. And by the time nine months goes around, you're going to be carrying somewhere between 70 and 100 pounds everywhere you go upstairs, downstairs, bending over, washing yourself. And we're going to stuff it nicely right in your midsection and it's going to get in the way it's going to be cumbersome your gait's going to change how comfortable you are in chairs your ability to get in and out of chairs uh, your ability to run will be significantly hampered your cardiovascular capacity will be taxed you will be hungrier than normal Uh, you know that that would be quite an athletic yeah endeavor yeah well what person in the world that is a woman who came into the world and is 30 something years old to 40 years old doesn't already know that every woman in the world goes on that exact athletic training program yeah you see the logic i'm saying yeah why are people so why, why is this so abstract for people why is it so abstract yeah. why is it yeah. not so obvious we all watch women grow and struggle and carry tremendous amounts of extra body weight and unfortunately many women use their pregnancy as an excuse to just eat anything yeah you know i've watched it over and over again most people have seen it they've got a license to just make themselves even more miserable yeah but the, but but i'm i'm saying this this whole thing shows us how far we've gotten from a common sense connection to the reality of the natural process right 
of being a human being that we can ignore the prerequisites and laws and principles of nature and have somebody biohack us and throw the progressive weight on us over nine months without doing any kind of conditioning, physically, emotionally, mentally, or often even spiritually. Yeah. You know, some people end up in a place where they're, they're really, really determined to have kids. Something's not right. And they do go on that path of fertility treatments. They have a baby. They have a beautiful pregnancy. And that is possible for people. And a lot of those people have already been taking every step that they possibly can, and it doesn't work out. But when you consider just how much of these fertility treatments are being used, how many interventions, how many C-sections we're doing, for sometimes good reason, because there's a pregnancy complication that would have been otherwise completely preventable. So, you know, I, I, want, I want to honor the people that are doing that. But what you're, what you're saying is very, very true. And by the way, I want to correct you on something. 70 to 100 pounds is not what any women are gaining. Some women are. Most women are going to expect to gain 25 to 40 pounds. But still, I've got a 40-pound kettlebell out there. Carrying that around for several months is going to be really tricky. So I just well, I wanted to add that in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think you're, you're you're right. I would just say that in my own life, I've observed women commonly gaining fifty pounds, and I've seen some go up to a hundred pounds. Yeah, it's a lot um, of water weight, a lot of extra blood volume, and I think yeah. a lot of that is because of what I said. They they just let go of themselves and yeah. they fall. You see, once you start eating sugar you get cravings for sugar because yeah, you're yeah. eating a, a drug that Candace Pert, one of the top experts in human physiology in the world, says is as addictive as morphine or heroin. So, you know, part of the lack of education is that women don't really realize what they're getting themselves into if they start just grazing on addictive foods and these things are engineered to be addictive. Um, so I was just using it as a metaphorical description of saying you could gain 100 pounds. Absolutely. You could gain Absolutely. 70, and you gained 70 with Mana and 80 with Zoe. She did, and, and she takes such good care of herself. And she's five foot one. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and this personal responsibility piece, again, comes back to like, you have to be an adult here. You're about to bring a baby into the world. And I know it seems like tough love and everything else, it's just the facts. Like it's it's that simple. You're going to do this thing. You're going to even need more. You're going to have to even pay more attention to your to your own health, your relationship, etc. When this baby's in the world, so you'd asked me about the challenges of IVF. What is the impact of this? I'd say another big one is um, not only are we disconnecting you from nature. You know, we're abandoning the natural and we're adopting this this mechanical view of the human body and conception, but we haven't addressed the upstream issues that, that led you to, to the REI doctor, the reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialist mm -hmm. in the first place. So it's no surprise then that you know women develop preeclampsia. They have a lifetime much higher risk of developing hypertensive disorders, heart disease, et cetera, later. Same with gestational diabetes and diabetes later in life. This is the time to get all of this stuff ironed out so that even if you do end up with IVF, your soil is laid down, you know who you are, you've got the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual dialed in. If we just jump right to IVF because, hey, you tried for a year and it didn't work without addressing all of this stuff, mm -hmm. we haven't done you a, 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 a great benefit as a medical establishment because we haven't fixed any of those things. 
whether it's relevant to your fertility or not, like these things are important. This is how you live your life. And how you live your life is how you do everything, right? Yeah, how you do anything is how you do everything. One yeah. of the things that I'd like to hear, because a lot of my listeners are men, what's the role of a male in this process from from particularly in this regard? Like if, if you want to get you and your wife or your partner want to have a child and it's not happening and then you end up with in vitro fertilization um, or just the, the, the stress, because I've seen this inability to get pregnant destroy marriages. Yeah. Um, I've literally known women who, who found out it was the husband that was infertile and got so frustrated that they just left the relationship because they yeah. wanted a pregnant, to be pregnant more than they wanted their infertile husband. Yeah. Um, but, but really what I'm saying is, what are some of the things that men maybe need to be more aware of or uh, how could men be more informative or supportive of their partner if it turns out to be that in vitro fertilization is uh, a necessary go-to if they want to go further than they can go naturally? I think that a lot of young men are underappreciating the role that they play in this process. Of course, it takes two to tango. Mm-hmm. And um, your, you know, your your partner has eggs. You've got sperm. They've been there since you were in the uterus with your mother. Um, and the way you live your life is going to um, re- be reflected in your sperm count, your sperm motility, the morphology, meaning the shape of the sperm. Are they able to swim in one direction? Are they spinning in circles in the vagina? So you're saying that my sperm is my mother's fault? Because if it is, it sure gets me out of a lot of trouble. <laughs> We're not going to take your mom completely off the hook, but of course, if you were born with suboptimal sperm, you're going to make a lot more of it. And, you know, it used to be back, um, we're conjecturing here because we weren't looking at sperm under the microscope necessarily a hundred years ago, but over the past 10, 20 years, we've seen a precipitous decline in the yeah. number of sperm, the, which is called sperm count, motility, are they swimming correctly in the yeah. morphology? And it's not recent. I've got articles right here on my bookshelf. It's been declining that, for decades. Yeah, it, yeah. It, you, Lady Eve Balfour talks about it in, in the the living experiment. The let's see, the living soil and the Holly experiment, pub, first published in I think 1948. Yeah, she shows studies in there that men's sperm counts had dropped on average approximately 50 percent. Yeah. And that by eating a diet of only 25% organic, they could get a, a nice boost. And at 50% organic, and this is 1948, yeah, right? So think of how much more toxic the environment is now. At 50%, men could get close to or approach the sperm counts that were considered to be normal, which I don't know what it was, two million jack two sperm two million sperm for a jack. It was way more than that because now it's considered like ten to fifteen or so, I think, is normal. Yeah, so, I can't remember the stats. That's a lot. I mean, most guys don't realize And, and let me tell you, that's common, but that sure as hell ain't normal. The fact that we've got so few compared to maybe a hundred years ago. Yeah, I'm just simply saying that this issue is not a new issue. No. It's an no, old issue and it's yeah. just getting worse. Yeah, I so since we're talking talking about this, we were going to get into sperm later, but for the men out there, if you take ejaculate, send it to the lab and they give you an analysis, you want as many healthy swimmers as you possibly can. It just takes one. 
But there's all these other variables that come into play, especially pertaining to your partner's health. So women carry the burden of this. It becomes hopeless. And the woman is carrying it and thinking, I can't get pregnant. And the guy's over there with his cell phone in his pocket, yeah. living next to a cell phone tower, yeah. eating you know Arby's and Chick-fil-A all day. Junk, yeah. So what I tell people is like, listen, the man is just as responsible. We're going to get into conscious conception and connection and everything else, but- you know, some adjustments to lifestyle that I get all of my fertility couples on, even if they have a normal semen analysis, they say it real quickly, like, oh yeah, he's got, he's got good sperm. If you're not, if it's not working, it's, it's not sufficient. You get a man unhealthy enough and that sperm, like any other, look, if things can cross the blood brain barrier, they can certainly get into your semen. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things is, is getting into the the mechanism by which the egg selects the sperm, that egg's got to be very, very careful. Yeah. And so if you got a bunch of toxic sperm, right, the door's going to stay closed. That's I'm right. sorry. Go right. take a fucking shower. Like I need different sperm. I need yeah. a different partner. I, I need something tricky. that I can work with here. Yeah. So there's there's a, a big man's role right there. You, my point being, just because you have sperm doesn't mean they're healthy, and it doesn't mean they're that your seminal fluid's not toxic. You know, I'm a therapist. I've been one for almost 40 years. That's probably older than most people listening to this podcast (laughs) in their whole life. And I have seen firsthand how unconscious. Look, I live on a 14-acre property, and we have many construction crews and contractors and air conditioning guys and tile guys and roof guys and well drillers and everything else. Hmm. And I am appalled at the shit they live on. Yeah. I look at this and go, what in the freaking hell right. do you think is going to happen to you? And they're all walking around with their bellies distended, their backs hurting, their knees arthritic, their joints arthritic. And as soon as they find out what I do, I get pinned with a billion questions. So I hand them my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. And so there's no need talking to you until you've read this. Read, read this book. <laughs> and and then your questions will be answered. But my point is, is that as good a job as the medical system has done at selling a machine concept, the food industry has done at selling poison. Yeah. And it's up to each person to take responsibility for the fact that the mirror is a very truthful um, device. Yeah. Meaning, pay attention. Right. P3OM by Bioptimizers is hands down one of the most important supplements to have on you everywhere you go. If you're traveling, if you go to work, if you're going to friend's house to eat, this product will knock out food poisoning and almost any kind of gut disorder from viruses, bacteria, fungi, whatever could irritate your gut so quickly. It's mind-blowing. I have been using this product since Wade Lightheart first turned me on to it, and he's the formulator of it. And I've got Wade here to tell us how it works, but I just want you to hear it from me. I have all my clients use this. I try to get it to friends, to family members, because it is really like your own bodyguard. So Wade, how in the world does this thing work so well every time? Well, as you know, we're very research oriented and we have 
literally a university in Croatia that we do microbiome testing with our labs of PhDs to find out what's the most effective formulation. And we are quickly moving into the post-antibiotic world where we need to cultivate super probiotics. We all heard of super bad bacteria in hospitals and stuff that are antibiotic resistance. But what we did, we worked with a medical doctor that was able to take an aggressive strain of L. plantarum, which is a very aggressive strain, and then put it through almost like a BUDS camp, a Navy SEALs training, where we subjected this particular probiotic to a toxic environment. We ran a sine wave through it. And out of that survived only about somewhere between two and 3%. We then take that and grow it on very special food. We feed them just like you would feed a great athlete. You feed them special food and the probiotics develop unique capabilities. We have a U.S. patent that is so powerful, I can't read it on the airwaves because we'd get canceled. But what I can say is when you put P3OM in your body, it goes out and breaks down any undigested protein whether it's in your gut or through your blood system. And it becomes your Navy SEALs defense force, if you will, to go out and wipe out whatever pathogen might come in your body. You just need more of these guys to overwhelm it. It takes it out. It cleans up any messes. And for the last 18 years, I've been using P3OM daily. And I can honestly say I've never been sick during that time. If I feel something coming on, I just double down my dosage take four caps every night. If I get a little, if I'm traveling, I take twice that. And it's been great. A lot of our people do it. And it's one of our best selling products. And it's available to your audience. Just go to p3om.com slash living 40, put in Paul 10, get a 10% discount. And if it's not the best probiotic you've ever had in your life, you get 100% of your money back. That's from us at Bioptimizers. That's our guarantee for you. Go get it. It's for real. I love the stuff. Thank you, Wade. So I want people to get a couple practical things they can do. If you have any desire to have kids in the future, there's a couple things you can do. And and whenever people are like, I can't afford that or whatever else, let me remind you that when you go to your local butcher, it's a biodynamic cow that was just butchered. We have a biodynamic farm and ranch down the road from us in Kentucky, one of the beautiful parts about living in Kentucky near where Wendell Berry started his whole estate and everything else. And um this you know, second or third generation biodynamic farm sells, uh, sells cows. We bought a cow from them for $3,000. That's a lot of money. But it arrived, and I split it with a couple friends. We put it in our deep freezer, and I realized there's no organ meats. So I called them up, and I, and I said, where are the bones? Where are the organ meats? Where are the, where, where's everything else? I bought the cow. I want the freaking head on my counter, you know? Yeah. And they were like, nobody ever wants that. Yeah, And so you go on their website, it's $4 for a pound of liver. And I just told you, I went with Monsal on a sacred hunt. One of his facilitators, Matt, he's a Navajo. And he had told me, you know, his elders had, had taught him that you don't hunt game for the trophy antlers. You leave the antlers, you leave the hide, you get the organ meats. Yep. You may not even need the meat. You get the organ meats because mm-hmm. that's the jewel. Mm-hmm. And, you and know, the animals, would, carnivorous animals go right to the organs first. They, right. eat, the, they eat the muscle meat last. right, right. right. So there's this, uh, you know, this tendency to think this has to be overly pricey. Well, you can pay the money now or you can pay it later with IVF, but start eating organ meats, start eating oysters. Um, there's a, the aquatic ape theory suggests that perhaps even some of these pregnancy complications like preeclampsia and spe- you know, specifically, which I mentioned before, are due to the fact that we live so far away from the shoreline 
because shellfish were so important. Now, granted, many of us have intolerances and can't do it, but oysters are an aphrodisiac historically. Mm -hmm. They also are loaded with vitamin D, copper, zinc, a total complement of fatty acids. Taurine is this new essential amino acid that's really sexy right now, and protein. Organ meats and protein, three to four days a week or every day if you want. And you're naturally going to, with that simple, that simple intervention, you're going to now start to see things changing on those semen analyses. Well, speaking of which, if I can interject real yeah. quickly, one of my sponsors for the podcast, Paleo Valley, has organ capsules. That's the one I, that I recommend, yeah. Uh, liver and I can't remember what else they have, but you can get them from Paleo Valley and they freeze dry them and put them in caps because a yeah. lot of people don't like the yeah. taste of liver. Yeah. But I wanted to bring up a point. In Weston A. Price's book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, which was written basically on his research in the 30s, up to about 1938 was when he was doing his expeditions, he talks about meeting with native tribes in British Columbia, if I remember right, and further north, and how they came to this interesting realization that, I think, is vitamin C deficiency scurvy? Is that yeah, what? that's yeah. right. Yeah. So one Fix of the, it with lemons. <laughs> well, what they found is if they cut the adrenal glands off any animal that they killed, whether it be a deer or a moose or a seal, they would divide the adrenal glands up by the number of people that they had to feed. So wow. if, if if there was a, a, a say that say the hunter had a wife and three kids, they would divide it so each person got a, got piece, a piece of, of the, the adrenals. adrenals and it staved off scurvy. No kidding. So, so rich, these organ meats. So the point is, is that they already knew how important not only the organs were, but how even a gland could enhance a person's ability right. to survive in the winter when there wasn't adequate vitamin C sources to keep them healthy. Yeah. yeah. But, what, what, but the point I'm driving at is, isn't it interesting that the natives all the way back then knew what the medical system still hasn't figured out. Or they're just not really willing to acknowledge it. You can't prescribe somebody organ meats. I go to that farm and I, I have 20, I've got probably have 40 pounds of organ meats in my uh, deep freezer right now. And you can chop it up. Like you said, you chop it up, you dry it out with a, with a, Desi a, dehydrator. a dehydrator and then you grind it up and you encapsulate it. It mm -hmm. takes time, but it's a meditative practice for me. And my wife and I take four capsules a day sometimes more. If she's on her period, she'll take more um, to replete the body with all those nutrients she's losing from the blood. And, um, and that keeps us going. We are healthy as, as, as an ox, as oxen. <laughs> and uh, so this is not a, an ex overly expensive thing. This is probably the simple, the, the, the single uh, least expensive dietary modification you can make. Shellfish, specifically oysters, and, uh, and organ meats for the men. I want to tell you something. You just hit a trigger button on me, a pet peeve. Oh, I hit a pet peeve. Yes. Tell me. I have heard countless patients tell me that they don't have time. <laughs> okay? And this is what I ask them. Because by the time they get to see me, they've already seen a lot of doctors and a lot of therapists and spent a lot of money. I say... How much time have you spent driving from doctor's appointment to therapist appointment to drugstore to doctor to therapist to drugstore to surgical centers? And how much money has it cost you in downtime? How much has it cost you in, That's right. in quality of life? Add it up. Give me a wild estimate. 
And some of them come up with things like several hundred hours or a thousand hours. And they say, okay, well, what's your time sell for an hour? And they might say $25 and they might say $500, depending on who I'm working with. And so then I just look at them and I say, well, how much organic food could you buy with that? And how much of your time to dry out some adrenal glands or some uh, liver would that be? And what would you prefer to do? Sit at your house listening to your favorite podcast while yeah. you're dehydrating liver from a healthy animal or, or go get poison stuck into you because you're a machine? Yeah. This is back to my first comment. Where's the common sense? Yeah. I mean, we, we've really got an issue here of a clearly fundamental lack of awareness of values and awareness of the in the the fusion of the human body it doesn't matter what our heads tell us it doesn't matter what games we're playing with work and with money and and with phones our bodies aren't playing those games our minds are yeah you can stay up all night watching your favorite movie or surfing the internet or or doing facebook on yourself uh, photoshop on yourself so you your face looks pretty and your boobs look pretty but your body is sitting there going why are you not going to bed you realize how bad we're going to feel tomorrow and yeah you're going to poison me with more coffee and tea and sugar like this boils down to a complete disintegration of the conscious mind of the individual with their biological gift right. and miracle right. of right. a body. The miracle of a body. People, one of the things that the medical system has done is it's taken the miraculous out of the body by making it a machine. Right. Well, the fact is, all the science we have on the body today, even a single cell, any good doctor that I've ever talked to and said, how much more is there to know compared to what we do know? Most of them shake their head and say, Paul, it's like unlimited. Yeah, we probably know this much. <laughs> we know hardly anything. A good doctor will admit that. Yeah. Okay, well, if you don't know that much about the body, then why don't you turn to the great teacher that made it called nature and start paying attention? That's right. Because then you learn. And Mother Nature does not strap batteries and devices to you she says follow the seasons follow the sun pay attention to what the moon's doing notice that if you let yourself get fat you can't hunt and you starve to death that's right i mean this is just common sense we were talking about all these biotech devices. They drive like, me crazy. You know, uh, oh, I, my, my sleep was, a, I got a 98% score in my sleep. I don't even know. I don't have those devices. You feel like hell. You can't get to the gym. You can't, you know, you're agitated with your family or whatever. And you're like, I must have gotten good sleep. My watch said so. So we, we have to start embodying ourselves better. And I think a couple other practical things men can do is to really connect with the soil. Get out there barefoot in the dirt move some stones, whatever it is, spend less time with the devices, more time connecting with the soil. It's yeah. going to make you more aware of who you are. Um, some other practical things for the guys, less sauna time. We do have some data out of Scandinavia that prolonged, frequent, high temp sauna mm -hmm. will decrease your sperm count. And this is only really relevant. Oh, I can use that in my favor now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't want more kids. I'm going to hang out in the sauna before yeah, I go to bed steaming, at night. I'm going to get them hot. Um, lose the underwear, lose, you know, tight fitting shorts, you know, skirts. I was wearing one earlier. 
Um, you know, there are some studies that say red light therapy helps you. But again, if you're relying on technology, you're missing the big picture here. Yeah. Um, I also want to comment on the the sort of yang excess that we're seeing in our society. Oh my God. You're going to the gym and you're not feeling good. It's because your adrenals are skunked. I've been yeah. through severe adrenal fatigue. We're going to get into the adrenals um, in, a, in a moment here. But if you're... Um, you know, weightlifting, building muscle will increase your testosterone. It'll it'll support fertility unless you're overdoing it, you're not sleeping, you're overly stressed out, you're at a dead-end job, and you're doing the gym just to build muscle. It's naturally going to lead to a, a, a detrimental impact to your fertility. So we're going to work on the yin. We're going to start to try to balance this out. I always tell people, never trade your liver for a biceps. <laughs> that's great because we're in an era of fit sick people so i let them know you can't be any healthier on the outside than you are on the inside yeah so if you're forcing your body to pump all its resources into stuff you see in the mirror for example if you're adrenal fatigued and your blood sugar's all over the place and you're eating wrong you may go into gluconeogenesis and this yeah. is one of the problems with the vegetarian movement yeah People are living in gluconeogenesis, which means you have high levels of adrenaline, high levels of cortisol, which represses melatonin, which shuts down your anabolic hormones and sets you up to need in vitro fertilization. And tells your liver, keep pumping out sugar. We need it apparently because we're in flight or fight all the time. And you're catabolizing yourself. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, oh good. So you're saving the animals, but you're killing the only one that killing can vote. <laughs> yeah. You know, you were going to talk about the love hormone. So what do we need to know about the love hormone? Yeah. Two other things real quickly for the guys. Less cannabis use. Just stop puffing cannabis all day long. It's crappy stuff. You're getting it from dispensaries that have synthesized these Frankenstein monsters, yes. cannabinoid receptors on your adrenals, your gonads. Well, your first brain, of all, gut. before you tell us about that, yeah. what is the love hormone? Let's do that. Um, because we don't know why we got to stop smoking pot yet. <laughs> Well, I'm going to give you the opportunity to describe your beautiful model of love. But one, one thing that we're really going to get into here is the role of oxytocin in every step of this. As so I oxytocin mentioned, is the Oxytocin, hormone. yeah. It's produced by a part of this hypothalamus. Um, the, the VPN, I believe, is the initials, paraventricular nucleus, PBN. Um, it is stored in the posterior pituitary, and then it's released in a pulsatile fashion. Just enough to keep all of these feedback loops that we're going to talk about in a minute in, in working order. Well, oxytocin has a really, really beautiful role in this whole thing we're talking about. When you're connecting and you're having that great sex that hopefully everybody out there has had truly good sex once in their life, it's almost, you get into a flow state and it just gets better and better and better. It's more than just ejaculating. It is a deep connection with another person. You're both mm -hmm. being flooded with oxytocin, the love hormone. This keeps you almost addicted to one another in those moments afterwards. You just yeah. want to cuddle and get close. Mm -hmm. So oxytocin has a really important role in conception because oxytocin is actually what leads to the ejaculatory reflex where you shoot your semen into a vagina. And then the role of oxytocin, this is before birth. It has a great role in birth as well. Oxytocin also causes a quivering response in the uterus with orgasm that, that stimulates the muscle in such a way that it actually sh sh sort of shunts the, the sperm in the direction 
of the the openings to the fallopian tubes yeah. where it's going to need to get into in order for a sperm to meet the egg. Right. It could be in either tube. So this oxytocin is connecting, it's inviting to the spirit of this baby, it's driving the semen out of the penis into the uterine cavity, and then uh, and the uterus is then pushing it up towards the, the egg, and that's the first part. This love hormone also is, is extremely relevant in birth. In childbirth, we have something called the fetal ejection reflex. Hmm. And I'm borrowing a lot of this from a mentor of mine, Michel O'Donnell. I brought you a copy of one of his books. He's oh, written about cool. 20 incredible books. And he sent me his signed copy of his entire collection. And he's 92, was a general surgeon in Paris and was making these observations as the only surgeon around when the midwives needed a C-section. He wasn't even an OBGYN. But um, he emphasizes the role of oxytocin in, in, uh, in the moments before uh, a woman gives birth. We're talking maybe in the hour or two beforehand. Women tend to get on all fours with their knees together on the ground in a prayer position. Mm -hmm. they, they, they don't want to be distracted. And I've seen it in my wife and I've seen it in many of my clients. I've seen lots of women do that, yeah. Yeah, and especially in the home environment where they're comfortable, they feel safe, they've got their candles lit, they don't have people coming in and barking things at them all the time and shoving their hand in their vagina without consent. And I hate to paint that picture in such a, a morbid, twisted way, but when you consider all of the interventions and all the distractions and all the asking questions while they're contracting and whatnot in the hospital system, those catecholamines, the, um, the, the, this sort of fear response to that, not to mention, hey, honey, what, what, uh, you want to turn on the NBA game or whatever while you're <laughs> yeah. you know, getting, giving birth? <laughs> yeah. It activates the Jesus. neocortex, which Does suppresses. That, do, do guys do that? Of course. they like, what are you going to, my, my wife was asked, what do you want to watch while your guys are in labor in the hospital? She's like, what am I going to watch? the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> That's so bad. So weird. So I'm when that like, neocortex, wow. this big, beautiful, you know, uh, incredibly complex thing that makes us so aware of our awareness, when that's activated, oxytocin, the love hormone, doesn't do its thing. And you don't get that fetal ejection reflex. Mm -hmm. So you, the best thing to do is leave a woman alone because you want that baby and this woman to be flooded with love. Mm. It was love that brought this egg and sperm together to create the baby. It's now love bringing the baby into the world. And if you distract them by activating the neocortex, or if you put them in a state of fear where their catecholamines are surging at the wrong time. Granted, at the time of birth, women will scream and roar, the lioness comes out. That is a response to catecholamine surging because mm -hmm. it is intense. Oh, yeah. It, and it can be very scary. You're facing mortality. You're stepping through the portal. All of that is true. But when oxytocin is flooded, this baby's coming out enriched with this, this you know, the serum is just flooded with this love hormone. The baby is ejected when this reflex happens. And you'll hear women who have birth, you know, water births and everything else describe this. Later, the lactation, the, the milk letdown is driven by oxytocin. And that is pumping love into the baby. There's a benzodiazepine-like uh, property to it and the endorphins, which kind of mimic morphine in their systems. It makes them calm, at ease. It makes them quiet so that predators don't come and find them. So this connection, this this codependency between mother and baby, this is all driven from the moment of conception. You mean predators from when you're giving birth out in nature? Yeah, exactly. Like so, for example, an example that everybody always talks about, which is well documented, is if there's a uh, a female lion out on the savanna in sub-Saharan Africa giving birth, and she hears a predator in the in the bushes, she, her labor can stop abruptly, 
and head elsewhere to give birth. But the same, you know, the same hormones are at play with a newborn baby yeah. because that milk actually sedates them to some degree, it puts them in that, that like, ah, that love feeling right after orgasm, right after, uh, you know, you've, you've had sex and that keeps the baby quiet and calm and loved. And there's, there's this connection, but imagine a world where we have an increasing C-section rate. We have an increasing intervention rate, epidural rate. You have anesthesia, meaning you can't feel your body. Yeah. Um, imagine what all these interventions are doing. It's creating multiple generations of children being born out of love. Right. And this we, is another thing about IVF. Not not out of love, but in absence of love. In absence of love. That's right. Yeah, not out of love. Yeah, you're right. I should clarify there. Uh, in the absence of this love hormone. Yes. So this is, again, back to your, your sort of reductionist view of the medical system. We see oxytocin as having, oh, it helps to eject the milk and it helps to do this and that. And we need to give you synthetic oxytocin oh, because we know it, it, it makes the uterus contract. We're missing the point of oxytocin. It's actually helping to deliver the baby. Yeah. And that's a beautiful way that I like to look at this. And everything we, that I talk about in, in my upcoming fertility course in the Czech Institute um, and in our talk is really related to that. How can we maximize the love, decrease the catecholamines, maximize the love, and get that soil as healthy as possible? That's what this is all about. Yeah. And you're using the soil to be synonymous with foundation just so people aren't confused that, right, what is he talking about soil for? I don't yeah. have any soil in my house yeah. or I live in an apartment or whatever. Well, we can learn from nature. You know, well, yeah. healthy soil makes healthy plants, fertile yeah, plants. That's, <laughs> you know, and that's another thing too. Unfortunately, the whole germ theory has got everybody afraid of dirt. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I go to the park with the kids and there's parents there that don't want their kids to get dirty. I'm like, you know, that, means that you don't have a child. Yeah. Hi, everybody. One of my favorite Symbiotica products, which I'd love to use when you got two kids in the house that bring home all sorts of stuff from school and have runny noses and coughs like kids often do. So if I need a little backup, I get out my Symbiotica liposomal vitamin C. Tastes great. Feels great. I use it regularly. And it's just a good backup plan to support your immune system. But better yet, I've got Shervine, the creator of the product, right here to tell us more about it. So Shervine, what's unique about your liposomal vitamin C? Well, this has evolved over the years. This is our ninth iteration. And this is coming from fermented cassava, mm. not coming from corn. And it's in liposomal form. And we also have added compounds in there, including biotin and potassium bicarbonate, which is a very highly absorbing form of potassium. This right here is delicious. It is delicious. Okay? You know, we're using organic vanilla and organic extracts and citrus bioflavonoids, and you're getting a thousand milligrams of fermented vitamin C in liposomal form. So we're talking about pure absorption. So if you're, you know, you got the everyday cold or you're feeling the chills or you just need a boost in your immune system, boom, you can hit that right there. It's good for children. It's good for, you know, elderly. Anyone can have it. And it is one of my favorite products. Or if you're going to go on an airplane or being around a lot of people that aren't healthy and you just want a little immune backup or immune boost. Absolutely. That's delicious, mm. high absorbing, and gets to the subcellular level almost immediately. And kids love it. Kids love it. I haven't met anyone that doesn't like the flavor. It's beautiful. Yep. So to get your Living 4D discount, go to symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. To get your 15% discount on checkout, use the code capital L, number four, capital D, 15. Enjoy your Symbiotica liposomal vitamin C.
what are the common causes of fertility issues? Um, um, you know, it's a question that's often addressed physically, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on the emotional, mental, and spiritual contributors to infertility. We've talked a lot about the physical stuff. We've talked about diet and lifestyle and Cartesian split, <laughs> living in your head. And As such, we, we go in different directions. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of the emotional, mental, and spiritual links to challenges with fertility? And, and just to keep the men engaged, how does this relate to the men as well? Because they're 50% of this whole process. That's right. Yeah. Well, they're also uh, upwards of maybe 40% of fertility issues are related to the male's contribution, contributing poor quality sperm, low sperm count, etc. Most of our medical system focuses on what's wrong with the woman. You're broken. Let us fix you. So when people come to me to seek help with fertility, we do start with you know the basic causes of fertility. And remember out there, there is a, a, a fecundity rate, meaning every time you release an egg, there's going to be a roughly 20 per 25% chance or so likelihood of it being, um, of it being, uh, meeting an egg and, and or meeting a sperm and turning into a baby. So you're not going to get pregnant on every cycle, but even if you do get pregnant, even if you're a perfectly healthy person, perfectly healthy pregnancy, 10% of pregnancies, even to healthy men and women end in miscarriage. So this is nature's way of balancing out. It's the law of ecology. Um, but of those causes of fertility and miscarriage, which are kind of one and the same, the first is you're not ovulating. We have to distinguish between bleeding and ovulating. We're going to get into that because that's an important distinction. People say, oh, I'm ovulating. And men consider that like, oh, you must be on your period, on your rag or whatever. And that's not fair because number one, it's not the same thing. Number two, just because you're bleeding doesn't mean you're actually releasing an egg. So we'll get into some of that, but that's the first thing. We'll just get into it now because you're there. Yeah, well, okay, so one of the primary reasons that women don't ovulate is something called PCOS. That's a pretty common issue now. It's increasing. I don't have the exact data as to its incidence and prevalence, but I can tell you for sure it's it's increasing. It's a constellation of things, um, the first being that you're not ovulating. So you're anovulatory, meaning not ovulating. Mm -hmm. um, you generally are going to have higher than normal androgens, and that's a problem because as we'll talk about, when, they when your ovaries are creating follicles, there has to be a dominant follicle, and that follicle is dominant because it's the best, the most efficient at converting androgens to estrogen, and that makes it stand out. It's the leader of the pack. So if you have excess androgens, perhaps you're not going to get enough shifting to estrogen. That's the second thing. Remember when we were out lifting rocks? Yeah. I asked you the question, you know, today, one of the side effects of men not knowing how to take care of themselves is that they turn to um, exogenous yeah. steroid hormones, such as testosterone sprays, testosterone orals, testosterone, and, and um, other steroid injections, whether it be insulin-like growth factor, you know, there's a lot of different steroids that yeah. are using. So what's the effect of that from the male side of it, not only through maybe the sperm, but I've had cases in my clinical practice, uh, three of them now, where the partner was uh, engaged in bodybuilding and all of them involved um, some kind of testosterone spray or cream. Yeah. And the woman began to have clitoral hypertrophy, hair, facial hair yeah. growth, deepening of her voice, and it was freaking her out. So the point I'm making, you know, you're talking about the role 
of isn't it testosterone in the ovary? Uh, in the yeah, so both men and women produce testosterone. Androgens is the is the general category. right. But you were yeah. talking about how the the ovary that's the most efficient converts the testosterone into the estrogens. The follicle, yes, right. That's right. Yeah, okay. And so that's the one that releases the egg. What happens if a woman's got too much testosterone because she's getting it through oral contact, skin contact? That's exactly right. It wouldn't that throw the whole system out of balance? Absolutely, and and it goes the same for the men. So let me uh, let's do some basic anatomy here, real quick. So uh, starting with just the physical anatomy, we'll make it very brief. The outside of the vagina of, of what people call the vagina, they use this catch term for everything, is the vulva, the labia majora, the labia minora. You've got the clitoris with a hood over top. Highly sensitive areas, all of it are endogenous or are, are, are erogenous zones. Inside the opening, the hiatus, you'll find the vagina. And at the end of that is the cervix, which is the outlet of the uterus. So you go in through the cervical canal. It's about four centimeters when you're not pregnant. Into the uterus, you've got two fallopian tubes that come out the side. The fallopian tubes have little fimbriae that collect an egg one cycle 13 times per year. If you're a healthy, you know, normally functioning, so to speak, um, woman. The ovaries, of course, is where the magic happens. The male... Uh, the male um, evolutionarily uh, equivalent to that is the testicles. Now, in order to understand how these androgens and all that are playing in is we have to talk a little bit about feedback loops, specifically the role of the endocrine system in this incredible axis from the hypothalamus to the pituitary to the pineal to um, the thyroid, the adrenals, um, to the gonads. I mean, just to name a couple. Hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis and the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. I call it the hypothal hypothalamic pituitary thyroid adrenal ovarian axis because yeah. they're all equally relevant here. Yeah. And when we only isolate one or two and create these separate axes, yes, there are certain feedback loops there, but they're not going to operate in isolation. So if you in, uh, and so in what I mean by that is that when there's too much of one hormone, it'll feed back to certain endocrine organs and tell it, hey, we need less of this. Mm -hmm. So it'll stop making the stuff upstream. Mm -hmm. um, and one, you know, you'd ask me about the challenges of IVF. One of the things is, is like with birth control, we haven't investigated the reason you're having abnormal periods. We just put you on birth control without looking at the upstream cause. So when you come off birth control, it's no surprise that you still have that same issue, if not worse. Because we know birth control, specifically the pill, disrupts your gut, your immune system, your nervous system, your endocrine system, all, all across the board. So these, these feedback loops, as I'm describing, can actually um, enhance or, to, or diminish the flood of various hormones around the body, many of which also serve as neurotransmitters. So if you introduce something exogenously, testosterone replacement therapy is a great example, you are naturally throwing out this delicate balance because... You've seen the benefits of testosterone therapy. Well, what's happening to the hypothalamus, the pituitary, mm -hmm. the thyroid, everything in between? I heard Amy quote my on your recent podcast, which was very good, by the way. Yeah, Amy Fournier is amazing. And her podcast is Awakening Aphrodite. It's really good. And so is Excellent show. Nathan's yeah. Holistic OBGYN. But she shared with you the analogy I teach in Holistic Lifestyle Coaching that the hormonal system is like a spider web. And I say to my students... What part of a spider web can you pull on without pulling on the whole web? And they mm. all immediately respond. I love that, yeah. You can't. You, you, you affect the whole web no matter where you touch it. And I think the medical system and biohackers have created the illusion you can, oh, you can ramp up your testosterone, but they're not 
paying attention to the fact that anytime you elevate testosterone, the body tries to compensate with estrogen. That's why bodybuilders yeah. get what are called yeah. bitch tits because right. they grow right. breasts into the magnitude that they've elevated their androgens. Right. So, right. so the I'm making a point here. The point I'm making, so everyone's clear, especially guys, if you're playing around with any kind of androgens, testosterone, any of them, you are messing with the web of connections That's that right. includes I the master regulatory aspect of your pituitary, your hypothalamus, the entire system. And I will sweeten the pot a touch for everybody here. <laughs> I'm like, I want a little sugar. Thank you. Pour a little sugar on me, honey. Hey, this is the, the uh, you know, you talked about the holistic aspect of being physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. Hormones are the molecules that interface your chakra system with your physical systems. Yeah. It's only because of hormones that the thought, which is a subtle energy that cannot be identified as an entity until it's measured in reaction. Right, right. So when you're doing right. an electroencephalogram, you're not seeing the thought, you're seeing the effect of the thought because the body has the instrumentation to handle that high vibration, subtle yeah, energy. That's right. And reach, reach that level of reception, like an antenna that can pick up that signal. The point I'm making is, the only way you can feel happiness or sadness, if you're watching a movie that makes you laugh, it's the joke that had to come through your mental field, yeah. into your astral field, into your etheric field, through the chakras, into your nadis and your meridians, that then is meeting, that signal is now transferred to your hormonal system, and it releases chemicals very quickly that trigger you to feel the joy of laughter or the sadness of sadness as a real experience. Why is that important? Because when you start biohacking and you start playing around with a hormonal system, be it IVF or otherwise, you are actually manipulating the body-mind interface. That's right. And you start taking pills to make you happier, antidepressants, they're changing the entire regulatory function of the hormonal system and then you get acceleration of glandular production of key hormones and repression of others but then when you come off of those things you have a lag time before this system just like when people come off a of coffee you go through hell for yeah. you know anywhere from weeks to a year yeah because the adrenal glands are so exhausted they now have to slowly recover and upregulate so you can be in a state of very, very much discomfort and feeling like it's hard to get happy, it's hard to get motivated because your body's forcing you into a yin cycle. Yeah, right. The punchline here is just remember, you can't tinker with hormones without tinkering with emotions. And when you're tinkering with emotions, you're tinkering with your perception of the experience of your life and if your tinkering leads you to dark places, you end up getting put on more drugs, which then screws your hormonal screws system you up, up more. Yeah. So it's just like corkscrewing yourself right into a, a slow death. Yeah. I mean, you can't polish a turd. Can't. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't tried, but thanks for warning don't, me. Don't do it, Paul. It's not possible. It just falls apart and gets all mushy. I think it does. I think it it is worthwhile to just talk about the adrenals for a second because I think everybody in our world is generally walking around in some degree of adrenal fatigue. Most people, yeah, your adrenals are are quite 
quite possibly the most. Uh, they sit on top of your kidneys. They by sit the on way. top of your kidneys. They're about the size of a plum, perhaps, and they release three different categories of hormones. You've already mentioned the the, the sex hormones. We're mm-hmm. talking DHEAS, testo, um, testosterone, di- dihydrotestosterone. Estrone, estradiol, those are actually estrogens, but mm-hmm. in a man, you're going to have way more of one than the other. You got the medulla, the cortex, and what's the third? Well, the medulla is where you get your catecholamines. Yeah. And then the, the cortex has three layers, and the outside layer creates the salt regulating hormones. Right. That's your aldactone, aldosterone. Yeah. The, the second down. Mineral corticoids is that class yeah. of hormones. Yeah. Mineralocorticoids. Then you got your glucocorticoids. That's your corticosteroid, your cortisol, everybody loves, super sexy, and cortisone. And then you've got your sex hormones there. Yeah. And one thing that can happen, uh, I, I have a t shirt idea pregnenolone over productivity, because the more productive and more stressed out you are on a, on a daily basis, these pathways have a way of configuring themselves. The sex hormones are the last in the in the chain of command. If you uh, have healthy functioning adrenals, you're going to make a nice generous amount of all three of these categories. Again, the salt, the sugar, and the sex hormones. But if you're in a state of flight or fight at all times, yeah. uh, and many people who go on testosterone replacement therapy are in that state because they still want the benefit of the testo, but they're struggling on these other sides. Yeah. The salts and the glucose, the, the mineralocorticoid and the glucocorticoid pathways are going to preferentially pump out hormones at the expense of your sex hormones, which naturally is going to impact your fertility, whether you're male or female. That's called pregnenolone steel. One thing I actually will generally address is, can we supplement with pregnenolone to get your adrenals back in order? Um, it's, not a, it's not a long time fix, but would that fix this issue of this imbalance? Just and as a as a sure as an interjection there, you know there is research now saying the whole pregnenolone steel pathway is actually incorrect, and it's been brought up multiple times in my um, training through the institute by students that are taking functional medicine, and actually uh, somebody forwarded me a research paper. It was very short. Personally, I'm suspect because having rehabilitated thousands of people's adrenal glands. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and knowing I, I did three years of functional medicine training and used it every day in my clinical practice and pregnenolone supplementation definitely definitely helps. helps. So, so if it's not steel, then it's something else. But yeah. you're, you're onto it. I feel the same way as you. Like, yes, they keep telling me it's not real, but I get I get people on, you know, something like Longevity Elite, I think is the product from Quicksilver. It's a nice Chinese medicine herbal blend. Mm-hmm. Tonic you take daily, it has pregnenolone in it. Yeah. And it it it's almost a matter of like night and day yes. that they feel better. So there's something to this. Maybe we haven't fully understood it. Yes. But understanding just how delicate these adrenals are and how susceptible they are to, to high levels of stress for long periods of time. All I was going to interject earlier yeah. was this, that the reason you stop producing sex hormones is because when your body's under that much stress- Of course. <laughs> and you're producing that much- Adrenaline and cortisol, yeah. your body says this is no time to be no getting pregnant. No time to be pregnant. having babies. This yeah. is not a safe environment. Exactly. So exactly. It makes it, sense. It, it basically shuts the reproductive quality down just like a seed won't germinate until right. it's got the right warmth, the right, right. moisture, right. and soil. So right. the body's saying we don't want to plant seeds right now. Right. So what do people do? They trick the system and start planting seeds in the middle of their own self-created battlefield yeah, you're you're exactly right, and this is this is why this is such an important part of the conversation. When we are over, we are in yang excess. We're just push, 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 push without grounding, without doing any working in, doing some yin practices. That's a 
big part of what I'm counseling people on because if your adrenals are not working well, you're not going to have an easy time getting pregnant, period. So this is another thing that I think is super easy for the young guys listening to. And of course, the, the women as well. As and women it also are, affects the men. Yeah, well, that's because, what I'm saying. Men and women, both. Yeah, I'm just simply saying, because it sounds like you're mostly referring to a woman's infertility coming from this. I'm simply saying this is a conversation for men because your sperm production and vitality is linked to the health of exactly. your adrenals because everything in the whole body is regulated. There's three primary hormones that are called primary hormones. And if you want to read about it, you can read the uh, the, the books by Diana Schwartzbein. Um, I'm forgetting the title at this minute. Uh, the Schwartzbein Principle, Volume 1 and 2. And she is an endocrinologist, and she makes it very clear that the primary hormones, adrenaline, insulin, and cortisol, are primary because you will die without, without them. them. And yeah. everything else, she says, all the other hormones just add to the quality of life, but they're not essential. That's interesting. And hmm. those three hormones, insulin, adrenaline, and cortisol, I've got a whole chapter on this in my new book, regulate all the other hormones. Yeah. They're, they've got the chief regulatory functions. And, and, and just as a side note, I can't remember the doctor's name, but I studied his work years ago. Um, he showed something that was surprising to me, that insulin actually has one of the greatest impacts on the sympathetic nervous system. And that if your insulin levels are too high or too low, it causes a huge sympathetic reaction, a fight or flight reaction in the body. Because as you know, too much insulin or too little can lead to brain death. Yeah. So yeah. if you're, because they're regulating blood sugar. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yes. And so, then you've got your adrenals working extra hard to yes. keep up with that, the catecholamines from the, the yes. adrenal medulla. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So, you know, most men and a lot of women know this, you know, like when you ask people, what is your re emotional reaction to being really hungry? Mm. Like if someone's trying to talk to you when you come in the house and you're starving. You get hangry. You get hangry. You, you want to. <laughs> punch them in the face to say, get the freaking hell out of the way. There's a steak over there. I got to get my blood sugar up. But you see, that's the drive, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm just making the point. Yeah. That, that, that regulation of blood sugar is such an alarming thing to us on the inside that we will be rude if we have to, to the people we love the most because they're stopping us from eating because we're in a crisis state. That's right. Now, you know, here we are talking about the basics of what I teach in holistic lifestyle coaching, even in HLC One Online, which is my general public program, as you know. But we're we're talking about things that boil down to just basic diet and lifestyle common sense, or you know, not skipping meals, eating real food, not getting caught in fad dieting, um, paying attention to what your body's telling you. I mean, I've counseled many vegetarians and I said, I'm just curious, you've been a vegetarian for five years. I'm just giving a number. What happens when you smell meat cooking? Most of them, if they're honest, say, I get so freaking hungry, hungry for it. <laughs> I just want to eat it, but I just can't do it because then they give me the whole vegetarian story. I say, no, who is it that's making you want to eat it? And they often sit and just look at me with a blank stare. <laughs> and eventually they get, it's my body. Yeah. Ah. What would happen to your life if you actually listened to your body instead of telling it what to do? Yeah. And that goes right to this whole issue of in vitro fertilization yeah. and, and the 
90% of the people that don't need it if they just start listening to their body right. and giving it clean water, real food, fresh air, movement, rest. Yeah, you know, and there's not too many, you know, quote, Western doctors. I don't even like that term anymore because I'm not sure what it means. Because most people, even in Eastern philosophies, the traditional Chinese medicine is a perversion of original Chinese medicine, for example. It's very prescriptive. It's, here's the problem, let's give the, the silver bullet. Because maybe yeah. that's what people are demanding. That's Maybe that's what you were trained to do. But you guys are working well together. They're not going to be looking at your adrenals. There is a type of functional medicine testing called a Dutch test, which I'm now a practitioner of that. It looks at the adrenal hormones and the ovarian hormones and it looks at the liver pathways that break them down and you can help you can use you know very very gentle remedies in order to help get some of those pathways back on board so you know there are ways to look at these things but most doctors haven't been trained they may not even know that this is possible they're just myopically looking at oh you're not ovulating we better give you hormones to force you to ovulate right without considering the repercussions to pregnancy and not not to mention mom and dad are working 80 hours a day, they got the IVF, they're pregnant. 80 hours There's, a week. I'm sorry, 80 hours a week. <laughs> if we don't fix all these things before pregnancy, then you're left with a baby screaming for six months. Uh-huh. You're not getting sleep anyway, so now it gets worse. Oh, yes. So your marriage falls apart, you're agitated all the time. So this is the time to work on these things. Yeah. Um, I think I think it'd be a good time, Paul, also to talk about just the basics of the menstrual cycle. Yeah, um, do it. Because I think people, when they hear period, they think ovulation, and there are two distinct events that happen. So. Um, you know, we were talking about causes of fertility concerns. Let me just run through those. You know, the poor sperm count thing we talked about, there can be fibroids, um, uterine anomalies like septum or an arcuate uterus, uterine polyps, other hormone issues, which you've already brought, premature ovarian failure, which can sometimes be seen as an autoimmune destruction of the ovaries. You've had chemotherapy, which is an unusual circumstance for somebody in repro- of, of reproductive age. Um, genetic abnormalities in the fetus, 50% of first trimester miscarriages are due to that. Your body knows there's something up with this genetic material. We got to clear the slate. The spirit of the baby's like, it's not right. Leaves and comes back in next time around. Um, endometriosis, tubal disease, especially if you have a history of gonorrhea, chlamydia, or smoking. I just wanted to complete that. That's the, the most of the things that are going to cause fertility issues. And all of those are impacted by all of the things that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, just to, before you move on, yeah, we're in a vaporizing epidemic and you and I both, you and I both love to vaporize but vaporizing's not smoking, though there's a lot of chemical shit that people are using in vaporizers and, and tobacco oil, nicotine and tobacco oils. And, and you know, I mean, some of these things just, mm. man, I just, the smell of them gives me a headache. Yeah. Where, where's the, where should, an, if, if, a, if a couple wants to get pregnant and, and either the man or the woman is into vaporizing, what are your suggestions so that they don't fall into the smoking risk? This is actually really important because I think there's two parts to the question. First off, the, the obvious one is where, where do you suppl- you know source good quality materials? Anything that goes into your body should be organic. Organic, yeah. Um, it should be as chemical free. If you can't read it on the back of the label, then don't put it on there. I always, I actually don't prefer to use essential oils. Like those are super concentrated. Uh, sort of extractive um, serums made from plants. I don't like using that because it junks me up. And if I had a sauna at home, it might actually help clear that, but I don't. Um, the, the other thing I want I want to make clear to people is that when I blow a bag of tobacco, I'm very thoughtful and I'm very thankful and grateful that I have this vapor to to carry me into my work in the day or you know to get me through the next hour. 
I think a lot of people, like anything, they pick this up as a, a bit of a, um, a numbing agent for the mm-hmm. other things that are stressing them out or whatever. And they're, they're ripping bags without really being thoughtful about this. You know, mm-hmm. even on the Sacred Hunt with Monsal, um, tobacco, of course, to many indigenous peoples was a currency. This is something that is sacred to the land. You offer it as a thank you and to show gratitude to the animal you've killed and to honor you know, where you've found a place to live with your tribe. And Mm -hmm. we've lost a lot of that reverence. You know, I think people replace one addiction to another. And I think that that does play into this because um, what is it that's driving you to do this thing impulsively if it's not, if it's not supporting your path? Without going into a vaporizer lesson, I think that it goes back to paying attention to mental clarity, um, energy levels, sleep quality. Yeah. you know, a man's adrenal health can pretty much be measured by his um, capacity for erection. Is he waking up in the morning with an erection, or is he able? Does he have premature ejaculation? Because those are all indicators of adrenal fatigue. Absolutely, I've I've been through that myself. Yeah, yeah. So you know, not erectile dysfunction, but the, the, when I've been under the heaviest burden of stress, you know, it's you know. To pump chump, you know, it just feels terrible. But if you're not aware, yeah, well, this is not a penis issue. This is actually a, a an energetic thing that's going on and, and, an, adre- and a, an endocrine issue. I'm sure you know this. The sympathetic system is responsible for the ejaculation. Right, the right. parasympathetic system is responsible for maintaining the erection. Yeah. So if a person's already stressed, they're highly, they have what's called high sympathetic tone. Yeah. So- Anyone with adrenal fatigue's already got very high sympathetic tone. And so there's a low there. barrier to entry to that ejaculation. Right. The sympathetic system's already turned on. Right, right. So it's kind of like facilitating the pathway that makes for less quality for the woman. Right. Right. Because right. it's, you know, wham, bam, thank you, man. Wham, bam. <laughs> and so, the, 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 but the point I'm driving back goes to, at, goes to the issue of the question, when is vaporizing putting you in the risk of a smoker? And what I'm saying is one of the ways you can tell, aside from the other things I mentioned, is the quality of your erections and your ability to maintain an erection during sex. And that's a whole huge problem with men all the way down to young men, 18, 19 years of age, have been reaching out to me with premature ejaculation that's problems. incredible, huh? And an inability to even get erections. You know, so I'm, I'm answering the question from my side of the table, which is to say, there may not be any objective means of saying when is vaporizing becoming smoking from a from a medical risk or from a health risk or from a fertility risk position, but your body will tell you because you will start feeling tired. You what once maybe gave you levity starts to drop you. Your body starts to react in a negative way to it. Um, you you also need to drink a lot more water if you're vaporizing because it's hot gas. It's dehydrating you, and dehydration can trigger off adrenal stress and all sorts of other pro- a whole myriad yeah. of problems. Yeah. I mean, dehydration is right. a real threat to the body. So the answer that I'm giving in a nutshell is you pay a very close attention, and if you see that your vaporizing is linked to symptoms that are indicators of of uh, a decrease in overall vitality, then you need to. Um, cut it back or improve the quality of what you're using or make adjustments that show positive results in your body. That's right. Hi, everybody. I sure hope you're enjoying the podcast today. 
You know, it's said that most people are either in too much of a rush to prepare fresh organic greens, be they vegetables or green fruits like fresh green apples, and end up grazing on inferior foods. But it comes with a cost. Nutrient depletion, reduced capacity to handle stress, reduced immune resilience, and you age more rapidly. But Organifi comes to our aid again with an amazingly tasty, nutritious addition, their new crispy apple green juice. But it's more than just another apple drink. It's packed with your favorite adaptogens and superfoods. Some key features of Organifi's new crisp apple green juice are delicious taste from organic crisp apples, organic whole apple sources hand-picked, including Golden Delicious from Washington, Northern Spy, Macintosh, Ida Red, and Empire from Ontario, Canada. The new crisp apple green juice is formulated with the highest quality ashwagandha at an effective dose of 600 milligrams for helping your body handle stress more effectively and it's low sugar only two grams per serving but the taste is amazing for such a low sugar drink just add water mix and experience the joy of real food real fast go to organifi.com o-r-g-a-n-i-f-i.com and save 20 percent on organifi products when you enter your living 4d discount code capital c capital h capital e capital K, 20 during checkout. That's check 20 for your 20% discount on Organifi products during checkout. Enjoy Organifi's new crisp apple green juice. We've been talking a lot about, about, you know, some stuff pertaining to the physiology. I do think that for anybody out there listening, especially if you're somebody who is helping um, couples with the f- fertility journey. I think we need to get a couple things very clear. Back whenever you're in health class in seventh grade, you're learning about the dangers of of herpes, and maybe they show you that video where a baby comes out, you know, and you get to see that. But it's all kind of used to to teach you to condition you to not want to have sex. Don't have sex. Don't do these things because bad things can happen. It's not working. Yeah, it's it's not working. <laughs> That's a good observation. <laughs> I still really always wanted to have sex. That's funny. Yeah. Um, but what have would have been would have, what would have been really nice is had they taught young men and young women that there is a four to five day period during which you can have sex in order to achieve conception. And without teaching young women who are who are craving this information, maybe at a young age, we're actually di- di- disconnecting them from these natural rhythms. So. Before I talk about the menstrual cycle, during which I'll describe what this fertile window looks like, this four to five days, let's remember that at five to six weeks of gestation, inside of a, a woman's womb, that baby already has ovaries and already has um, starting to develop these primordial germ cells, which develop into oocytes, the fancy word for eggs. I'll just say eggs from now on. By 16 to 20 weeks, the halfway point in the pregnancy, there's six to seven million oocytes in these young ovaries, inside the uterus, not even, you know, we're at four and a half months or so. We're not even close to birth, yeah. let alone having sex. So as these follicles are in there, they're actually already starting to sort of grow and try to compete with one another. It's all this kind of chaos and they're falling off and they die. And so by the time you're born, you have about 2 million and you're going to keep those 2 million until you go through menopause and you've exhausted the supply. So at puberty, you've got about 300,000 eggs and over your reproductive lifetime, you're going to have about 400 follicles that open up and release an egg that could be met by a sperm. So that's 400 shots, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and remember, it, it's it's normal to have it's it it should be hel- it's healthy to have 13 cycles per year. 
should be 13 months, not 12, but we won't get into that. So during any one cycle, what's happening in the ovaries is all these little follicles are developing, maybe 10 or so per each ovary, and one of them is going to outcompete the others for the reasons we already described. It's going to release an egg. And this is the first, so this is the middle of the cycle. You've released the egg. The egg is now traveling through the tube. If it meets a sperm, we have conception. Mm -hmm. When those two meet, the follicle that released the egg turns itself into a small gland called a corpus luteum. It's fantastic. This is just beautiful. And it secretes high levels of progesterone. Those high levels of progesterone will support the lining of the uterus in order for the embryo to have a safe bed to lie on and to grow into a placenta and a baby. Mm -hmm. So if that doesn't happen, that corpus luteum stops producing progesterone and you have a bleed. It's a withdrawal of, of progesterone that causes the bleed. This is also why when you're on birth control, you're not really cycling. You're just having a bleed because we took, for a week, we took away the synthetic progestin, which I call an, a synthetic endocrine disruptor because it's really not a hormone that they're giving you with birth control. So you've now bled. That's day one of your cycle. Until you ovulate again is called the follicular phase. It can vary between women, but you're generally looking at 28 to 31 days, that being most women falling into that group if they have a healthy cycle. So even if you have one ovary and one tube, it could be on opposite sides, you still have the same likelihood of getting pregnant. That's a really interesting part of this. So now that I've described you know, the number of oocytes, et cetera, we have to consider at what point can I get pregnant during this period? If you wait until the, L, the, the test strip you buy in the, in the CVS or whatever changes, you may miss the window. What you want to be looking for, and this is what we could be teaching Is there a women, test strip to tell you when you're ovulating? Is that what it, you're saying? It, 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 it detects something called LH. So during that- Luteinizing, luteinizing hormone? Luteinizing hormone, yeah. yeah. But when you see that luteinizing hormone, it means that the ovulation is coming almost right after that. Well, so, the, well the note I wrote down yeah. it relates directly to this. Sure. I, I think a lot of men just don't understand that there are some definite signs they can pay attention to to know when a woman is- ovulating one is there the mucus in the vagina is much thicker two it has a smell the vaginal fluids have a smell that my experience is 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 very attractive yeah it's, it's like pheromone rich it's yes yeah. it's pheromone rich yeah. it's earthy and it really enhances um erection yeah and so if you pay attention to the mucus the smell and the taste the taste and the smell together it is um, like an aphrodisiac, and because it makes you... It's the time to have a baby. You're yes, ovulating. It, it all does. makes sense. And yeah. not only makes you want to have sex, but it enhances the whole experience, the desire and the the buzz around yeah. the connection. Yeah. I find that, you know, when you when you have good a good love bond with your partner and you're having passionate sex at that time the chances of both people having a simultaneous orgasm and having a truly transcendent mystical experience yeah. is, is very good. Yeah. Because the hormones set the whole show so that you're more likely to have paradoxically a God opening yeah. while God enters as your child. That's right. That's right. Let's actually talk about some of those factors that a woman could start to follow and, and her man. Like both of you are in this together. You can both be tracking these things and know exactly when the right time is to have sex. And it's probably the time that you most desire one another. Instead of timing it and counting and all this stuff, let like let's go in and let's feel through this. Does it f are you horny for your wife right now? 
I bet she's ovulating. Yeah. So so some of the some of the signs that a woman can actually track on a daily basis. That's and, the problem. She's ovulating all the time. Then that <laughs> that's your problem. <laughs> well, those factors don't necessarily you know, uh, impact us just once a month. Let's, we can be clear on that. Yeah. Um, so day one is your, the first day of your bleed. You finish bleeding. The cervical mucus starts to change, uh, starts then. You're not having blood anymore. Now you have like kind of a dry, almost sticky consistency. Mm-hmm. And follicle stimulating hormone from the pituitary is starting to rise. That's telling all those little follicles, you guys got to start competing. Who's going to win out? Who's going to open up and release the egg? Mm. So as that happens, that follicle, that dominant follicle that I described before, it's about to release the egg. But what triggers it is that it becomes super sensitive to FSH, the follicle stimulating -stimulating hormone. hormone, And LH surges, triggering that egg to be released. In the meantime, again, we're talking about the point from bleeding to ovulation. You have a change from bleeding to a dry, sticky cervical mucus to a creamier mucus, and that's when we're starting to enter the fertile window, window to a egg white consistency mm-hmm. mucus. Yeah. And the cervix goes from sort of pointing towards the sacrum to pointing directly at the opening of the vagina. Mm. So if you and your lover are connecting, I'm, I'm speaking to the men here, you can feel the cervix, the opening is there. It's open. And, yeah. this, and the consistency of, the, of the, the mucus, you can put it between your fingers and it strings. That's the time you're going to get pregnant. And you want the sperm to be there before ovulation because they'll hang out there for five to seven days. So if you wait until the LH strip happens, that LH surge is preceded immediately by ovulation. Now you're like, it's time, honey. It's time to have sex. Well, if you had had sex when you guys were really horny two nights ago, the sperm would be there waiting. Now they're hanging out, unless you have Navy SEALs that can camp without food or water (laughs) for uh, uh, 28 days or something. Yeah, right, right. You missed the boat. But this brings up an important point. We did talk about this in a previous podcast, but I think it's worth reiterating. Um, One of the sad things I've run across, and I know you as an OBGYN have probably seen it a million times, men don't seem to study the ecology, the fact that a woman's vagina reproductive system is a living ecological system. It's changing constantly. Hmm. But one of the things that's just baffled me, because I've, I've been down this road with many female patients, is how little women relate to and know their own vagina. Yeah, right. You know, because I get women with like really serious chronic long-term vaginal yeast infections and um, sexual injuries that then lead to vaginal yeast infections and a a number of things that, you know, even though they they might think like chronic SI joint disorders are often coupled with these things, right? Yeah, of course. And, And so is low back pain and even knee pain. But then when I start talking to them and start asking them questions about their vagina, they don't know. Yeah. What tips do you have for women to kind of reconnect with their... I mean, this is very Emily Abbott. Emily, where are you? We need you right now. Emily, we love you. You're an OBGYN. What are some tips for women to kind of familiarize themselves and get a little more intimate? Well, what I would do is print out like a grid, like a calendar... And every single day, you check your basal body temperature. Mm-hmm. You check your the consistency of your cervical mucus. If you're bleeding, you don't have to check it then. You know yeah. you're bleeding. Yeah. But if you're starting to notice, okay, there's no more blood, and you wipe, you're going to see a different consistency. You can actually stick your fingers up inside and check mm-hmm. it that way. Mm-hmm. You can also check the position of the of the cervix. Like I said, it's normally going to be facing more posteriorly, mm-hmm. and then it starts aiming towards the vagina. Those three things 
alone are going to tell you quite a bit. You'll also notice that around time of um, of ovulation, your your breasts get a little more plump. You have mm-hmm. a little bit more body heat. Like you're raring to go. You know, when women are on birth control, one of the one of the most confronting findings that we found through some pretty large observational studies was that women had reported that when they came off of birth control, which is again, a synthetic endocrine disruptor, synthetic estrogen, synthetic progesterone. Don't even call it that because it's not progesterone, it's progestin. Um, That when they came off of it, that they were no longer attracted to their partner. Mm -hmm. So there's an important part of of your endocrine system maintaining this pheromone complex, which is actually mitigated by um, immune hispato... Uh, histocompatibility complexes, um, which are, it's a fancy way of saying that your immune system tells you something about whether or not this is a good fit for you. So I would start with that. I I also think it's important to state that if you're not seeing these changes, I just had the stroke of this, this insight, the cervical mucus as a biofilm, it's going to be directly related to your microbiome. And we know that because your cervical mucus consistency can actually get into this, you know, this typical pattern of dry and sticky to creamy to egg white um, with improvement of gut health and some of the other factors that go into that. Um, So I would start there. And then I would also say, start noticing how your breasts feel. How does your body feel? How do you feel right before you bleed? And start tracking all that, just like with anything in in a journal. I feel feel it's nice to get a calendar like that. I think I would start there. And and I also want to to impress upon anybody listening that, that after the ovulation, those high levels of progesterone are necessary to maintain a pregnancy. And if you're under high levels of stress, what happens to your progesterone? Yeah. Plummets. So you have what's called a luteal phase defect, and then they end up supplementing with progesterone or Vitex or Chastberry, mm. you know? So those are good things to do. But if you know your body, gosh, we've already laid out so much information there mm-hmm. so that we can start really working. If we haven't learned your body, that's the first step in me working with people is we got to start tracking some of this, getting back in touch with who you are. I want to loop back for a second, you know, the, the women coming off the birth control pill and then losing their attraction to their partner. Um, would you describe the mechanism again? Is it because they're now going through a, a, a cycle of recovering their normal hormonal rhythms and, and flows and therefore their body is, um, shall we say, is the lack of attraction due to the fact that the body's going through some kind of a healing crisis? I think so. And I don't think it's necessary like, babe, I got to put you on, on pause until I get better. I think we have to actually consider what these synthetic hormones, which every young girl has been offered at some point in their life, They're 14 very toxic. 15, very toxic. They impact your gut profoundly. And the gut, of course, is lined with 70% of your immune system and gut-associated lymphatic tissue. So you've now disrupted the the, this gut, uh, the, this balance of flora in the gut yeah. that disrupts the lining uh, and the architecture of the lining of your intestines, that dysregulates your immune system, also lets proteins circulate into the blood that don't belong there. You develop autoimmune propensities. Yes. And birth control pills also boost the production of certain proteins from the liver that bind up other hormones in the endocrine system, like thyroid hormone. Mm. So a lot of women on, on chronic birth control, they'll end up with thyroid issues. Yes. So there's this cascade of things that are probably impacting all of the stuff you're asking in complicated ways. There's the spider web. Is there any kind of similar effects that you're talking about if a woman has her tubes tied? Not that we know of, but what I will say is that when a woman goes through a sterilization procedure, it used to be that we clip or we just clamp and infuse them. Mm-hmm. 
When I was uh, covering a practice in Encinitas, I was uh, covering a gentleman's practice who you know, and he had counseled uh, one of his patients on a sterilization procedure. And so I did the surgery because he was on vacation. And when she got out of the surgery, she found out that I removed her tubes, but she thought they were just going to be tied. And so there was some profoundly, deeply uh, upsetting thing about that, that she had a part of herself removed and they couldn't be restored. There's no way to get pregnant now without fertility technologies. So there was, some, there, there was an impact to her mental, emotional, and perhaps even spiritual experience in the world due to the fact that her tubes were removed. Yes. So if you clamp that off, there is secretions from every part of this reproductive system. Yeah. I suspect that if we started looking in the data, if we started collecting data and even looking in the first place, we would probably find that some of these things are impacted because everything is connected. You can't interrupt one system without impacting the others, the spider web again. Have you ever seen or read the book, The Bitter Pill by, I believe it's Ellen Grant? I have that book and I think I read it way long ago. She was, she was a research doctor for the British National Institutes of Health, and this is before the birth control pill was legalized and, and offered, and she was a chief researcher on the investigation of what happens to women if they take the birth control pill, i.e. is it safe? And it is mind-boggling what she presented to the British government, and then they said, go ahead and do it. I mean, she listed cancers. There was just, a, I mean, there's just, you know, multiple hundred pages of all the bad shit that happens when women take the pill and they said, go ahead and give it to them. And she herself was dead shocked because she was advising strongly against it. I mean, that that's just a reflection of everything happening in medicine. It's like, well, this doesn't go along with the narrative that we all believe, which is, you know, it's just a pill and hey, you deserve sexual liberation and this and that but at the cost of your health, long-term health. And perhaps you may never get pregnant because your system yeah, is so messed say, up. Not only sexual liberation, but it may be the end of your reproductive yeah. abilities. Yeah, and I, I I say that with uh, with compassion too. I mean, a lot of women didn't know this when they were on birth control. My wife was on birth control for a, a period of years, and when she came off of it, we separated. Um, we this was in college. We had a, a brief separation, and um, and it was really really tough. Like it, it was like, what's going on here? Um, she. We we watched this film called uh, The Business of Birth Control by Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein. It's not a complete film, but in 90 minutes, they give you a really good understanding as to what an alternative to giving birth control to every 15-year-old might look like. And by the way, we're not giving it just for contraception anymore. We're giving it for abnormal periods, for painful periods. We're giving yeah. it for everything, acne. Yeah. yeah. And so, yes, you may fix that one symptom, maybe. You don't have to have that pesky period, which I believe is a, an important part of what makes you a woman. Absolutely. And it's also a fifth vital sign. It reflects all this stuff upstream. So instead of investigating what was the cause of those abnormal periods, you were put on this pill. Maybe you were 25 when you were on it and you had normal periods, but you just were like, hey, I need to get birth control now. You're now on the pill for five years. Uh, or let's say you, you didn't have normal periods, but you previously did when you were younger. Now you're 25 and your periods are out of whack. Instead of your doctor investigating upstream what happened. What caused this disruption? Was it food? Was it movement? Was it meditation, sleep, whatever it was? You're in college now. You can't do that in six minutes, though. <sighs> you can't do that in six minutes. That's right. And actually, there was a British medical journal um, study that looked at how much time does a person get in front of their primary care doctor, and OBGYNs are considered primary care, before, they, uh, before the doctor interrupted them. It was 22 seconds on average. Wow. So how much of your story can you really talk about? Hey, you, want, you have this period issue? Oh, man, hey. You don't want to get pregnant yet, right? Let's just pop you on the pill or one of the other many technologies we have. So 
I um I can't even remember how we got onto that thread, but it, it is um we're doing a disservice to women by offering this so ca- in such a cavalier way. I think we really need to rein this in and. I think it would be very beneficial if we taught young women about this fertile window during which if sperm is not introduced in that time, there's no pregnancy. Yeah. So if that's the only reason we're on birth control, then there's, there's other ways we can do it. Hi, everybody. I'm sure you've all heard of the benefits of bone broth, but I bet you don't know about bone broth protein powder. I found an awesome bone broth protein powder with Paleo Valley, and I asked Autumn Smith if she'd explain why hers is so good from Paleo Valley. Well, like you said, collagen is basically the fountain of youth, and most of us are not getting enough of it in our diet because maybe we don't have time to simmer bones on a regular basis. And so we created our powder to make getting the benefits of collagen for your joint health, for your gut health, for your mental health, really, really simple. And we sourced it from 100% grass-fed and grass-finished bones. So it is a beef bone broth protein powder that you can literally put in everything. It's tasteless. I add it to my son's smoothies. I put it into his desserts. You can even put it in soup and get all the benefits of collagen without all of the time and energy and investment. So all you have to do to check it out is go to our website at paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And you can use the code CHECK15. That's lowercase C-H-E-K-15 at checkout. And I hope your family loves it. I know you'll love it. Keep your body healthy. Keep your kids healthy. And let's make the world a better place with Paleo Valley. Enjoy. Can you give us an overview of your new online training program? Who's the program for and what will they learn in a, in a sort of a nutshell overview? There's three groups of people that can benefit. And that's really kind of a catch-all. I think anybody can benefit from this program because of everything we've talked about that is somewhat occult nowadays, it seems. You even, know? even men? I think men and women would both benefit from this. Especially if they study it together, if they're a Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I think it's for the you know common people who are not healthcare professionals, they're not health coaches, they're not check professionals, I think they can benefit. I think anybody who's already seeing clients who are male and female in reproductive years, which is generally going to be 20 to 40, um, I think that there's a, a good reason to take this course. So what we would be going over in the course is really what I do with my clients. I want people to know what I do because I'm getting a lot of Czech professionals and others mm-hmm. from all over the space, including people just finding me through podcasting and whatnot, yeah. who want to start, they want to they do it. And I, it kind of like with your book, it's like I could teach you all this or you could just go and pay for this course. Go through this first. Let's get the foundation. Start tracking fertility, etc. Yeah, then, then the time with you is more useful. It's way more you're, useful. You're taking them beyond the basics. You know, it, unlike most doctor scenarios, it doesn't start with your blood pressure and screening for domestic abuse and surgeries. That does come, but I want to know a person's story. Who are you? What is your purpose? You know, where did you come from? Where are you now? Where would you like to go? We start there, and then we get into really the check system in this course. We get into um, your, your one love, we get into the two forces. Are you balancing the yin and yang? Um, are you at a deadbeat job that you just freaking hate? You know, we talked a little bit about joy when we were eating lunch a little bit ago. Schiller's Ode to Joy. Freude, schöne, gunter, funken. Joy, beautiful spark of divinity. And we've said so much here about, uh, about this orgasm and birth being these, these connections to God. I mean, they really are. Um, so are you happy with what you're doing? Are you balancing yin and yang? Um, are you working in and working out? 
the the three choices. How are you making choices? What is driving your decision making? Yeah. The four doctors, you mm-hmm. know, doctor diet, doctor movement, doctor quiet, doctor happy. I mean, we go through this, mm-hmm. which if you're listening and you're not familiar with these systems, go buy Paul's book. He describes it beautifully there. Or just take my holistic lifestyle coach HLC level one, one yeah. which is really how to eat, move, and be healthy taught to you by an instructor, which is me and Angie. And more than than there is, there's other things that are not in the book. But it's kind of like a hand holding to what you've got to know to to meet baseline health, and then and build from there. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. It's kind of like if you don't know this, you're going to be spending money on doctors, like it or not. Yeah, exactly. And then of course that come goes into the five essentials of program design. What yeah. what resources do you have if you've got ten grand to spend? You could spend it on this course. You could even hire me, and you're still not going to hit that ten thousand mark for the IVF. And if we don't get this stuff in, you know, figured out now, you're going to end up with round two, round three, round four, and you're yeah. going to end up broke. So we consider all of that, and then of course we focus a lot on diet, movement, sleep, hydration, breathing, mindset, and that's kind of the first part of the course. Um, I also will will mention some, you know, there might be a role for heavy metal testing, uh, maybe mm, detox, yes. you know, yeah. with vaccines and these new vaccine technologies. Yes. We talked about Pfizer's early reports out of Japan, the mRNA, uh, the lipid nanoparticle of the mRNA vaccine that everybody's raving about. Heads right for the ovaries. Heads right for the ovaries. So you get a concentration there. Do we know if that impacts fertility? Not necessarily, but I wouldn't want some synthetic something concentrating in my gonads. So uh, again, the spider web, you know, Maybe we're not well, seeing let's just it right say now. There's no indications in nature that it wants that stuff in there. Bingo. There so you go. So that's your first answer. And and I always say, you know, the, the the burden of evidence falls to those who wish to deviate from nature's path. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, consider the role of mold exposure testing and treatments. Um, I'll review some of the imaging studies, hysterosalpingogram, ultrasound, MRI. Um, do we do a liver detox? We talk quite a bit about endometriosis in the uh, program. In the program, yeah, yeah. In 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 uh, in endometriosis is is this increasingly you know you could call it an epidemic the way people use the word epidemic, but more mm. and more women have painful periods, painful pooping, or painful intercourse. Yeah, and endometriosis, as you mentioned, you've done quite a bit of treatment here. I think it's an autoimmune mediated uh, process. People tell me I'm a quack for that, but if you get somebody on a healthy lifestyle, their endometriosis gets at least 50% better in almost no time. I've worked with more cases than I can count of endometriosis. It's extremely common. Um, It often comes with, to me, related to pelvic pain, low back pain, and often symptoms of chronic fatigue. And and, um, put it straight up, it's a yang excess. But every single case all they're just wound up burned out you know a, a lot of paralegals um dental hygienists people that are that are you know and interestingly i found a very high rate of single mothers with endometriosis because they're trying to live the life of a mother and the husband they're the breadwinner and they're the homemaker and it fries them yeah and I've also had many uh, vegetarians and vegans with endometriosis, right? Um, because they're what they don't realize is they're in gluconeogenesis all the time. So it's it's you know just because we've used the word yin and yang many many times, I want to clarify that yin means multiplication of power. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing something yin like eating good food, if you're hungry. You're low blood sugar. You don't have much energy. But when you eat good food, you multiply power. 
if you get good sleep, you multiply power. Anything that charges the metaphorical batteries of the self and enhances regeneration, re regeneration or the capacity to regenerate is classified as yin. Yang, by definition, means division of power. Mm. So somebody who's got a very busy lifestyle that's rushing from this to that, kind of a multitasking, is excessive yang, even though they may not be working out at all. So yang, by definition, is division of power. Yang is heating energy. Whenever you're inflamed, you're in a yang state. Yin is cooling energy. Yin gathers things in. It expands from a central point outward. Yang, so I, the way I describe it to my students is, look, if you take a piece of bread and throw it in a bowl of water, you'll see what yin does. It causes it to swell mm. and expand until it reaches its maximum expansion. But if you take the same piece of bread now and throw it in a frying pan, it won't be long before you get nothing but burnt toast, yeah. and then it turns to crumbs, and that's adrenal fatigue. That's right. That's burnout. <laughs> and and so... Soggy bread to burnt toast. And the, the two terms I use in my HLC training is burnout and brownout. If, if you burn out, that's the first phases. So that's phase one and phase two of adrenal exhaustion. Brownout's phase three. Brownout means you're in an osis state. So then you get endometriosis, ah. osteoporosis, spinal stenosis. That means that the system has gone so far yang, it's become so dry and so brittle, it's extremely fragile, but it also is a much longer road. So it would be like trying to regenerate dead soil. It ain't going to happen overnight, yeah. no matter how good the fertilizer is. Right. It takes time. Yeah. You got to rebuild the entire microorganism population. So brownout means, okay, someone just sprayed a bunch of chemicals on the ground, but if you do something to start cleaning it up now, you can recover. But if you keep doing it over and over again, you're going to go into a brownout. And that's where you see um, a complete uh, failure of the soil, like the dust bowl, for example. That's that's a brownout. Exactly, um, yeah. You know, a desert is a brownout. There's just, you, you can't grow much in there. There's nothing left, right? So what we're talking about in the Czech system and in your course is looking at what is our capacity to multiply power and regenerate relative to the status of how much we've divided our power, increased heat, and dried the toast of the body out. Yeah. And endometriosis is very burnt toast. Yeah, that's long down the line. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of women end up getting surgery for that, which yeah. does actually have a um, a pretty good, uh, it does improve your fertility. So if you have really bad, you know. It, the problem with a lot of those surgeries is just scraping the burnt toast and throwing exactly, it back in the pan. Exactly. If you did 12 surgeries in order to lyse some of the adhesive stuff that happens due to that chronic inflammatory state, if you did 12 surgeries, um, you would improve fertility in mild endometriosis. And, and so there, there you go. There's one stat that you can use in your decision-making. If you have developed a type of cyst in the ovary called an endometrioma, that's also a part of this endometriosis sort of sequelae, removing that entire cyst results for 65% of women um, a, uh, a live pregnancy, you know? Um, but you also have to consider if you're removing that big giant cyst, you're probably also losing a part of the ovary. So you're yep. losing some of your healthy ovarian you know, reserve. Tissue, yeah. So all of these things have to be considered. And in the course, you're going to learn a little bit about all of these things so that you have a broader understanding of how these things impact 
um, impact uh, the health. I do think one really great topic to finish on would be, you know, there's a big chunk in the course about conscious conception. And this is really more, less of the physical, but more of the mental, emotional, and physical. This gets into that intimacy with your partner. Um, I, I have the, a couple um, a couple handouts that I give them for, you know, worksheets to work through. I want to know what do you need to invite this baby in? What does your partner need to feel ready for, for to have a family? Mm-hmm. What does the spirit of this baby need to feel welcome into your womb? Mm. And those are hard questions to answer. We also talk about archetypes. What archetype do you embody? Which do you wish to embody? If it's the explorer and you're the CEO of a company and everything else and you're still wanting to get pregnant, we may have to work a little bit on how you actually are showing up in the world because yeah. this is a time to really focus in on on this uh, this divine process of conception all the way through breastfeeding. Yeah. So um, I wanted to tell a very, very brief story in order for people to understand what we keep talking about with this transcendent experience. In the Epic of Gilgamesh, 3000 BC roughly, from um, Mesopotamia, there was Enkidu. He was this wild man out in the woods. He was this this savage, the animals, he spoke with the animals. He had all this going on and the trappers were pissed and they feared this wild man. So King Gilgamesh, he recommended the trappers introduce a harlot and, and, and tempt him with that. So, of course, he was. He laid with her for seven days or six days, seven nights, and then he returned to the wild, and now the animals fled. So, you know, Enkidu's like crushed here. This was his whole existence was, was turned upright. So he went back to the heartland, and, and she told him, Now, Enkidu, you have become like a god. So there's three important lessons here from this story. One, the miraculous transformation through orgasm. Intimacy is important. That love hormone is critical for this process. Mm-hmm. Now, people bring up rape and all this other stuff, but Angie and I were talking earlier, and there may be this incredibly intense love between you and the spirit of the baby, and no matter what happens, yeah. it's getting in there. It needs yeah. to come in, but this this is something that couples can work on. The second is women are better equipped at reaching transcendental emotional experiences, and third, orgasm brings us closer to God. I would argue that orgasm is a is almost as close as we can get to god and birth itself is is sitting with the divine for a brief moment in time and i think when we start to reimagine this less as a medical procedure and more as a gift an unexplainable gift that can't just be hijacked by synthetic hormones and interventions you start to have an appreciation for how this conscious conception piece can really matter well, the womb is like a temple, and the orgasm opens the door. Right, exactly, exactly. And and I can't tell you how many couples, you know, they're timing it. They're like, oh, the doctor says we have to have sex right now. Like, you're not having great sex. You're just no, shooting semen in there. So now we've we're back to mechanistic mechanistic ideas. Yeah, a lot of people who are, you know, they think you just get close to a woman and she gets pregnant when you have sex, and that's what we were taught in, in the health class, but. I think that a lot of people end up, they wait a little bit longer nowadays because they're getting all their degrees and everything. And then they try, they haven't ever had anything looked at upstream. They haven't necessarily been working on their bodies. It leads to a state of helplessness. But the one thing that we have power over our animal compadres out in the woods is that we have the ability to transcend that helplessness through experiences with the divine. That's through connection, that's through orgasm, etc. Um our health declines when we're in a constant state of stress, and mm-hmm. I can't, I can't, um, I can't emphasize that enough. So, so in 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 applying these therapies uh, through what you're going to learn in the course, I want people to have an appreciation for yes, there's a lot of physical stuff that we need to get the first level taken care of, 
But what's the negative self-talk? I'm never going to get pregnant. I, I, mm. you know, what did I say earlier? Like, oh, I hate money. I hate the money thing. And you're like, be careful with what you say. Yeah. This is real. The emotional, that's how you show up in the world and respond to these external um, stressors. Well, what I would say is just remember we're always, we are all prophets. Yeah. That's, that's so true. Mm. <laughs> I can't get pregnant. Be careful pregnant. what you wish for. <laughs> I can't get pregnant. You're profiting. You're being, you're prophesizing. So. Whether you're, you think you can, you think you can't, you're right. <laughs> exactly. So we work through, you know, through this course, I hope people can gain some tools in order to really appreciate all the facets of this. And um, we've only really scratched the surface in this talk, but I think well, it's- Well, yeah, I mean, it's a huge topic. It's a huge topic. We, we, we've, we've covered the most important yeah. aspects yeah. of it because all the other stuff doesn't mean anything. If you don't have this in place, then you're just back to in vitro fertilization as your answer for, for ignoring what we've just talked about. And that's an expensive route with all the complications we've just discussed. And, and it also means you're bringing a child into a family that doesn't understand how to live. Right. And that's not how you treat God. You know, right. Osho says all children are born God and the parents beat it out of them. And there's a lot of truth to that. And, and unfortunately, most of what the parents are doing in that metaphor is unconscious but if in in our environment today with the level of toxicity all this vaccine pushing the stress the uncertain uncertainty in the financial market the confusion of what's going on in, with politics and and what the abortion of science the the destruction of the environment i mean you know it's enough to really wind up the christmas goose real good and i think that um, now is a very good time to apply these basics. That's, you know, the one thing I like about this podcast is it doesn't matter if you're interested in pregnancy or not. It doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man. We've been talking about fertilization. We've been talking about the female body, but we've been talking about things that are common needs for everybody, regardless. We're just showing you what happens in the world of fertility and pregnancy and birthing what happens if you don't pay attention but i could talk for hours on what happens in athleticism i could talk for hours on what happens to your business performance i can talk for hours about the mental and emotional ramifications of this i can talk about the financial ramifications of this i can talk about the anti-aging or aging ramifications of this i mean this is the axis yeah exactly around which health physically emotionally mentally and spiritually rotates and there's no escaping that while you're in a body people love to say you know i'm an expert in this or i'm a specialist in this and people have often asked me like well what's your specialty i'm a specialist in living yeah and fertility breastfeeding birth how you have sex this is all a reflection of how you live yeah and all of these things are laid into one another in this beautiful way that we never never will understand because it's bigger than us but how you live your life is how you experience birth, and how you live your life is how you experience death. This is all intertwined, and um, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to make the course. Um, you know, the last thing we were going to talk about is the plan, but the plan really is how to eat, move, and be healthy. Mm. It's really it. And then I just put a little spin on there from the lens of an OBGYN who knows what the the rudimentary things that the doctors are going to want to do. Mm -hmm. I know what that looks like. I know what the lab reports show. I know what the imaging shows. Sometimes, yes, surgery is going to be helpful. Sometimes, yes, blood work is going to be helpful. Sometimes we even need to use hormone therapies and whatever else. But the big yeah. picture is we got to get you as healthy as possible when you start to think about having kids. 
because yeah. the, re- the, the relationship, the best piece of advice before we got pregnant was don't focus so much on the day of the birth. Focus on the relationship that ensues for the next 18 years while you're raising another human to live their life. If you guys haven't figured out how to live now, how are we going to teach this other, this little kid how to live? Right. And that's really what this is all about. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Um, why don't you quickly share the services that you offer uh, and where people can find you as, as we close out? Absolutely. Um, my website is belovedholistics.com. And um, I offer a wide variety of, of medical consultation services. I really do truly specialize in living. But fertility is one of the biggest things that's coming up for me, which is why I you know, reached out and, and we got together working on this course. Um, you can go there. I am going to be releasing a fertility program myself for people who take the course and they want some, some you know, fine-tuning. They want to work with me. That's called uh, Came to Me in Ceremony, actually, uh, on the Sacred Hunt. Um, the Patience, Reverence, and Presence mm. Fertility Program. Because yeah. that's the three things that people are usually lacking. Mm-hmm. And I had asked my soul uh, in the medicine, I asked, what is the purpose of the heart? And those were the three things that came to me. Mm. So the, that program is going to include not just what we're talking about. I do think a good prerequisite would be to take the course. But once we're in the course, I, I like to recommend people, you know, a soma therapist, um, Chris Crawford, who's also a high-level Czech practitioner, Sarah Charmoli, my breathwork friend who you know mm-hmm, and yeah. have to experience. Sarah Gustafson is going to be a consult that you get in the package. A Chinese medicine doc, Valerie Jacobson. Um, uh, Barrett Freebird, who's an NLP and, and mental emotional release therapist. We're going to get all of those people in the room together mm. for you to see each of these people. We're also going to go through all of this stuff. And so that's going to be an option available through my website. Um, I do work through a private association. So you just have to make a donation, an annual donation. It's a minor, small fee. And then you get access to all those services. I also would love to have some more Czech practitioners in my collaborator program, Mm -hmm. whereby you have an MD consultant with all of this this stuff to share in order to enhance your practice and care for clients. So you can find that there as well. And what's your membership program again? Because you have a consultant where they can pay you a fee for for a monthly... Is it a year or you? It's a monthly fee. That's the collaborator program. Okay, yeah. so then then you could, they can just call you at any time and ask yeah. you. Hey, can you review these labs? Do you think that I yeah, should so recommend anything? Should they come and see you? Should they go and see somebody else? Yeah, it's yeah. like having a doctor you can trust available to you, so you know you can get solid answers and aren't going to get exactly. told to poison yourself some more, get something cut out. Right, and and you know people like you and Angie, when you decided to have a home birth, you had a midwife. That midwife would have had to find an OBGYN to help you. Right. Instead, they've got one a, f- a phone call away. So. I've got a lot of midwives. I've got some Chinese medicine docs, naturopaths, et cetera. Czech practitioners, they need to be in this program. This is the missing link for a lot of them because I'm getting clients who've worked with a Czech practitioner for one, two years, and they don't know the difference between ovulation and menstruation. Right. So like we got to, like, I'm here. I'm here to help. I'm here to serve. And, um, and that's really what my practice is all about. Cool. Well, that was a fantastic journey. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I always learn a lot and I, I also, you help me because I've not studied physiology in a long time because, you know, I've evolved with what's important to me and um, the nature of my practice has changed progressively throughout my career because as a therapist, I came to the realization a long time ago that it wasn't because I wasn't giving good advice. It was because people's behavior is so hard to change. So, when I realized that I had to really specialize in understanding the emotions, the mind, beliefs, 
and behavior to really get long-term results. And, you know, I've been doing this, like, you know, for a long time. So um, I realized that if I really wanted to not only reach my capacity as a therapist, but also as a teacher, that I had to really begin to master all the aspects of behavioral change because the greatest advice when someone has um, behavioral issues, you know, addictions or dependencies or uh, programs or, you know, religious ideas that are causing them trouble, uh, it doesn't matter how good the program or how good the medicine is. It it, it doesn't get, That's right. it doesn't work or it doesn't get used. So, uh, point being is, I get when I get to sit with you, you're reminding me, you're dusting off my luteinizing hormone, my follicle stimulating <laughs> hormone, the phases of the cycle, because I used to be on top of all that. Yeah, and I, I've worked with a lot of elite female athletes and amateur female athletes, most all of which had serious menstrual cycle disruption, and I created my equal but not the same course because most females are trained by males and haven't got a damn clue what to do with them and anything about their cycle or when to push them and not push them. And, and so a lot of women have been just destroyed by males pushing them when they really shouldn't be pushed. Like when they're premenstrual is a very bad time to push a woman in something like CrossFit or something like that. I mean, they're, they're, that's what we were talking about with the biohacking. Like, you know, just because this fan, this famous person who has all these great ideas says that sauna is good it might be good for you during this part of your cycle. It might not be good for you at all. Mm. It might be good for this time of the year or whatever, but it needs to be a little bit more customized to a, to a female because they're going through some really, really delicate fluctuations within these patterns that we've described. So yep. this is the future. This is where we're headed. And this is a small step in that direction, but I've committed my life to this. And, and thank uh, you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. You really are the one that... Um, we were stacking rocks the first time we met and well, after the birth of Zoe and you said, you, you got to do something a little different here. And, um, since then now I'm a, a vaginal steaming facilitator. I mm. use so many herbs. I, I mean, I have couples writing mission statements. We're doing first and second chakra balancing, not to mention having this network of incredible professionals who have skill sets way above mine. Like Sarah Gustafson, I can't do what she does. She's an incredible human who has mm. this incredible toolkit. So having a little humility and realizing that that there we need to as a collective as a medical system as a society we need to get together and understand fertility is declining our health is declining yeah. the few rich are getting richer we are getting poorer and we're doing the same thing to all the creatures in nature that we're doing yeah, to we're ourselves. destroying the planet first and foremost yeah. if that's a reflection of anything our fields are barren they're burnt toast as you described yep. it and we think that's okay and it's no surprise that we're following that path. Everybody's burnt toast. Yeah. So it's this is not meant to, you know for somebody to feel like they're being chastised or something. It's that you have the ability to make some very very um, simple decisions as to how you're going to prioritize your time and resources, and that is going to be ever so more important when you start a family, starting with the moment you have sex, hoping to conceive. Well, thank you uh, very much, Nathan. It was fascinating and and. Um I enjoyed it a lot. And um, thank you to all my sponsors for your amazing, super high quality products and sustainable practices. And uh, for all of you, thank you for anything you buy from the sponsors that supports the podcast. 
uh, it does take a lot of time to run the podcast. There's a lot of people involved, and we put a lot of heart and soul into it. So by buying from the sponsors, you're not only getting what I would consider to be the very best I could listen. I have a lot of people wanting to sponsor my podcast, and I say no, 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 because if it doesn't meet my standards, the answer is no. If I don't use it and my family doesn't use it, it is not offered to you on this podcast and it will never be offered to you on this podcast if it doesn't meet the standards of going in my own children's body, my body, and my family's body. So thank you all. I'm looking forward to sharing something super exciting with you next Tuesday, as always, and I do my very best to get mo- most interesting guests. I find podcasting fascinating. I know you do part. too. Yeah. My podcast is called the Holistic OBGYN Podcast, Yes, in case yeah. I didn't mention it. Yeah. And Another great one that I love is Kyle Kingsbury's podcast. Was he, did he change the name or is it just Kyle Kingsbury? Kyle Kingsbury. I think it's Kyle Kingsbury podcast. And then yeah. Ben Stewart has a great one and Amy Fournier's Awakening Aphrodite. Alison Poulot has one. Um, so those are some of the ones I listen to if you're interested. Um, thank you, everybody. Lots of love. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Dr. Nathan Riley. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to episodes 148 and 160 for more with Dr. Riley. Nathan's brand new e-learning course, Natural Fertility, an integrated approach to reproductive health, is now available through the Czech Institute. Go to shop.checkinstitute.com where you will find it among the featured products or in the online courses section. If you are interested in working directly with Dr. Riley, he is offering Paul's listeners $50 off your first consultation with him. Go to belovedholistics.com for full details. That's belovedholistics.com. Dr. Riley also has a collaborator program, which is ideal for coaches and healthcare professionals who seek frequent collaboration with a holistic OBGYN. You can find out more at belovedholistics.com. Connect with Dr. Riley on Instagram and TikTok at Nathan Riley OBGYN, on Twitter at Holistic OBG Pod, or listen to his podcast, The Holistic OBGYN, at belovedholistics.com forward slash podcast. You can find Paul on Instagram and TikTok at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living 4D with Paul Check. You can also watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com or visit the Czech Institute site at checkinstitute.com to find Paul's e-learning courses, advanced training programs, and to learn more about the Czech Academy. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcasts.